Welcome to episode 18 of Miniatures Monthly. We're back. Hey. Also, sorry. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> so sorry. So sorry. <laughs> we just uh, got very busy for the summer, the summer months. Yeah, I went into, um, you know, I think maybe this is a story across the board. And I think maybe this has just happened to everybody or maybe just everybody I know. It feels that way to me But as I well. entered the summer, like, apparently, what feels like a week ago, <laughs> with loads of momentum and Good loads of energy. Yeah. yeah. You know, as detailed in our Age of Sigma special, finished my Zangor, and that was like having this, you know, plug pulled out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Not the analogy I Im- was thinking about when I kind of embarked on it, but it's, yeah, it's where yeah. I've gone. That's so unpredictable finish. We live, that's where we live now. Um, and uh, and all of this hobby gushed out. <laughs> And is, and then suddenly there was none left. And then, and then, I, yeah, then I, I deflated like a saggy balloon and then, um, spent the rest of our initially very hot summer just sort of lying on my face. Maybe the heat did it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's it. Well, I think, yeah. So some combination of, um, you know, multiple holidays and, and just loads of work for some reason, which yeah. should be illegal in August, if you ask well, me. Absolutely. Especially with this heat. And, uh, I couldn't even spray in the, you know, the, the hot yeah. early some months. Like you couldn't even go outside because it was going to dry in midair and we worried about ruining my models. You're right. Actually, that was the first thing that uh, really slowed my roll with the big hobby rollers on. Cause actually like after that, maybe we'll get to it, but like after the Zangor, I did Magister, two chaos spawn, all of my Azerite ruins, sprayed loads of terrain, mm. did some endless spells. So I was just like, just doing stuff. Like yeah. the rest of my shame pile will be gone by the end of august mm. it's very much still there in fact it's got bigger so mm. you know um and then suddenly not being able to spray outside was like this okay well i guess i i like computer games again now and yeah that's really <laughs> that was a significant uh, barrier actually because i've gotten through most of my uh original sacrosanct uh they're all in some stage of ba- undercoated or base coated and just ready to be finished off but the moment I couldn't spray, I suddenly couldn't undercoat my uh, war machines, the crossbow, the enormous crossbow yeah. war machines. And uh, I've swapped my Death Guard half of the 40k box for uh, my friend Chimp's half, uh, Stormcast half of the AOS 2.0 core set. So I've got like twice uh, that d- double dose of those Sacrosanct Chamber models. And not being able to spray them means I just haven't been able to just get into them. Uh, and uh, I can spray them at any moment now. Now the weather's just <laughs> clear out of the habit. But then, yeah, it's just hasn't occurred to me almost it's weird it's like a mirroring but like obviously the same is true of, of podcasting if it's too hot outside uh the microphones just, just like yeah they just melt they, well they, they they drip everywhere it's weird it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah so that's why you can't it's hard do, like being a podcast that's why you know we haven't been able to, to do an episode for like a month and a half <laughs> it's been a while and uh, is it me or is it a games workshop just like releasing just they're, they're accelerating uh with the yeah. releases at a pace that surely can't be sustained. their hobby plug came all the way out yeah and, that's true and, and it just won't stop gushing the gush you know, is is hot, just so much if, if it is possible to fully deflate them hmm. that hasn't that certainly hasn't occurred yet yeah it's, it's been weird because it's been like a very powerful news flow but not a huge amount of aos stuff uh, yeah lots of sort of bespoke boxed separate games and and things like that Titanicus, things like Kill Team, uh, Rogue Trader, lots of just independent boxes that, you know, you might be able to go out and buy and just enjoy in and of itself without having to collect an entire army. Yeah, there's been, yeah, there's been, there's been a lot. And I, I think, but at the same time, I think there's been a sort of, um, 
maybe a shortage of the things that we would traditionally consider like big capital B big announcements like mm. new factions for example That's and new true. armies mm. so um, we're going to kind of work through some some of the new stuff but basically just what's um, of interest to us uh, or from the kind of the world of of miniatures things because at this point What's the point in trying to be topical? It's be- be- <laughs> yeah. new, barely news yeah, when true. we discuss the heights of late July. Plus, in, in traditional Minis Monthly form, as soon as we finish talking, do you know, we just announced something else that we've yeah. been talking about anyway. Absolutely, so, you know, almost, uh, we're recording this at a slightly more unusual time in order to try and dodge their ability to announce things while we are literally recording the podcast, but yeah. we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, but one thing actually that is happening this week, uh, which is not GW related, uh, which is super exciting, is X-Wing 2nd Edition is out on Thursday. It's here already. It's, it's snuck up on me completely. I, I knew it was sort of vaguely happening in the future, but no, it's, it's right now. Yeah. I need to go out and buy it right now. <laughs> well, yeah, but the good thing is you, you don't because well you're going on holiday for one thing that's true but also i'm just going to be drowning in it <laughs> so you can come over and play it yeah look forward to that very much uh, look forward to being excited about small plastic spaceships and uh chimp has acquired uh a battlefleet gothic Ooh. Uh, fleet of chaos ships and he's got a fleet of tyranid ships and he's got some of corset stuff as well so i'm going to be playing all the space games the next month or two they're good Tom. all of the tabletop space games yeah, so I'm really excited about X-Wing 2nd Edition, although I think um, one thing we'd like to do um, is some kind of probably X-Wing 2nd Edition special pod. Yeah, that'd be um, awesome. So we might save the, the in-depth discussion of the, the changes to the game uh, mm. for that. But I like obviously it's the game that... X-Wing is the game that got me back into miniatures, so it'll always be very important to me. And, mm. and I've been playing a little bit of 2nd Edition using uh, computer game tools, um, and it's very good. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's top to bottom kind of what i would have wanted them to do to the game mm. and sort of i think uh presages are kind of quite a substantial uh because x-wing is so was so big for fantasy flight is kind of initially maybe a couple of years ago you wouldn't know what that what that bigness necessarily meant you know in terms of what it would grow into yeah um and now they've kind of confirmed um stuff that i sort of got an inkling on when i was out there but you know it is becoming a game with seven factions mm. which from from previously four mm. five um it's becoming a game oh no sorry previously three really because yeah. it was really rebels and resistance first order and empire both as two combined factions and scum and villainy because you'd run you, you can run them together guys you, you can used to be able to yeah yeah um so you could have you know poe dameron in a squad with biggs from the first movie and <laughs> yeah that sort of thing um to becoming a game that has rebels resistance imperials first order scum and villainy the Republic and the droids from the prequels, mm. which is a lot of stuff. And yeah. it's interesting to see That's how it. different it feels. Yes. I, I'm looking forward to doing that special podcast because we are to combine your experience with my total noob impressions <laughs> yeah. of it, really. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It'll be interesting to do sort of, you know, uh, I'm really interested to see what you make of it as somebody mm. who, who uh, didn't g- sort of burn in enough to burn out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I dabbled a little bit and kind of played it as a, a kind of a social game when it is a it is a, comp- a very competitive game ultimately and that mm. seems to be the you know it, the fans the Star Wars fantasy is so strong and the models are really cool and the stuff I love about it it feels to be a, uh, a bit like Shakespeare, Shakespeare or even just sitting down to play a card game with someone you, you're kind of there you're there to try and win yeah it's inherently competitive although I think uh, I think sometimes that gets overstated by the core X-Wing community if that yeah. makes sense anyway okay. that's maybe a discussion for another time but yeah the, the uh, 
course, that looks really nice as well. And mm. I love the new, new models and the poseable X-Wings, which I think I've gushed about before. Just the idea of being able to set X-Wings, S-Foils to attack position. Yeah. That's, that's it's like every game. The, yes. <laughs> you know, they, the, the, mod, the wings now move, which is important in itself, but also... It is important. Toggling S-Foils in and out of attack position is now a, a game mechanic. Yeah. It became a game mechanic in the last wave for first edition. Right. Um, uh, and it, it previously had been represented on things like the U-Wing. Um, and here's a good test of, you know, whether or not you're playing um, X-Wing against uh, someone who will be your friend for life. <laughs> and it's whether or not they insist, if, if possible, if it's a posable model, if they do or do not care enough to change the model every time they flip the card from one to the How other. How could you not? Well, there are people who are like, don't, it's just a visual thing. You don't have to change it every time. And it's like, yes, you do. <laughs> you really, really <laughs> yes, you, do. And it's a game of, you know, millimeters and very specific analog positioning. So fucking around with a model while it's on the board for no reason other than you have to, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, along with doing the sound effects, isn't maybe strictly even advisable, but yeah. you still have to do it. Well, it's mandatory. Do you want to make Luke Skywalker sad? Uh, well, uh, you know, I, you know, we've all seen the, the Last Jedi. And the answer is no. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, change the models, darn it. Exactly, and you have to go when you do. Yeah, that's absolutely mandatory. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll awesome get to thing. this, but you know, uh, you know, that would, if if they'd done an Age of Sigma style reinvention, they could have just written that into the the rules. From yeah. you know, very true. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's good. That's happening. We'll definitely talk about that more at a later date. Uh, in terms of other announcements, I've got this in sort of no no real order uh, because mm. yeah we've forgotten <laughs> the order we've forgotten. But in terms of AOS stuff, um, the it was interesting. They did some teasers for some new endless spells and things, and that got people very excited about what it might be. And what it turned out to be was this Beasts of Chaos mm. kind of relaunch, which is happening this weekend, I think, or the following weekend, um, which is the kind of uh, the fixing of beastmen, um, turning them into a, a, a more specific faction. Mm. At the moment, they are a bit like Skaven and a few other factions, like a lot of the death factions pre-Legions of Nagash. Yeah, yeah. Um, a whole bunch of different types of Goatman in different camps that can't really talk to each other. Mm. And now they will be able to. And they're also all of the Zangor are in that right under a new set of allegiances oh that's cool so similar rule set but imagine with different kind yeah of- so you, if you have a zangor army you could probably then declare it as a beacon huh, army cool. instead with different command abilities. that's really neat yeah i mean if the project is to do legions of dangash for chaos ultimately and to kind of assemble all of the disparate elements of chaos into something more coherent that would be pretty sweet yep that seems to be the way things are perhaps going. I think so. Darkness probably need it eventually. Yeah. Um, although, so, you know, that's cool. And like, and also it means some things like a proper start to collecting box and mm. Age of Sigmar reboxings for th- those old Beastman kits. Yeah. They do. Which circular bases. They don't really seem to need a remodel. They're all right. right. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, like, I've never been very excited by the Beastman thing. I don't, I kind of slightly don't get it. I know some people in like, the Warhammer community love Beastman. I, lo- I like Beastman. Beastman. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've never quite, like, gotten the appeal of it really well it's just it's just it's just goat men tom yeah it's like that's it's, what I it's just a lot of pans <laughs> yeah it's just a lot of pans it's pans all the way down lots of horns yeah uh and the occasional giant goat yeah uh, really big goat what, what, what are they called Cycles? gorgons the saigons and gorgons they're from the same kit yeah sweet gorgons are the kind of combat ones and saigons well they're both combat ones but like <laughs> and saigons are the anti-wizard yeah. minotaur cyclopses 
So the, the only new model is the uh, the totem they have, the kind of... Uh, and the underspells. Uh, of course, yeah, and the underspells. Um, the, to- the scenery thing is quite cool and fits into what we've talked about before, about every faction kind of getting their own scenery in a way, and that's yeah. more part of the game. Um, that you Not only do you get your own spell or an endless spells, you also get like your own buildings almost that you mm. bring with you to, to fights. That's, that, it looks really neat. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it's cool. I think um, I like it's not going to um, sort of usher me into to Beastman as a new direction for chaos, but I think it sets a precedent for what an update might look like. Mm. So if they did like a, for example, like uh, there are other areas of the range that kind of need this, like um, dwarves, Dwarden that aren't Caradron or Fire Slayers, yeah, the dispossessed. A lot of those kits are still really good. Yeah. Like the Iron Breakers and stuff are still cool. The gyrocopters, all of that stuff, um, but. You know, they're still reliant on Grand Alliance, sorry, uh, uh, General's Handbook Allegiance abilities and things. And I can, um, you know, maybe, um, maybe obviously Endless Spells isn't a great fit for them specifically, but mm. I can imagine, you know, a new book, uh, maybe a, some, a, a new start collecting box and uh, maybe a new piece of terrain or, or something like that to kind of freshen them up is, is kind of like an interesting, uh, precedent for updating armies. Yeah. And, um, Dwight is a really good shout actually because I, obviously I'd like to see it done for Wanderers and, um, High elves, though you do have swift, swift talk agents and things like that. Mm. It feels as though GW have more plans for elves. Like there, there are going to be lots of different elf factions coming yeah, out. Yeah, at least yeah. two. Yeah, 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 precisely. And so they don't, they're not going to need the same repackaging because they're going to be basically redesigned. But stuff that isn't going to get that big refresh deserves to kind of, it's a good way to treat those models. Yeah, particularly because I think, I think it's, it's notable that like Beastmen have never really left the books, for mm. example, even as they've sort of left the game. Uh, the other one that desperately needs it is Skaven. Mm. Mm, oh, yeah. Like Skaven, you know, you don't need to redo all of those models. Lots of them are sort of end times era. They're perfectly all right. Yeah. But they're a mess rules wise. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like they can still, you can still win tournaments with Skaven. It's because of, a, but it's because of a handful of, well, it's because of a few things. It's because of a handful of really, really good units. Mm. And also the fact that they are ultimately chaos. So you, you know, Archaeon and some Storm Fiends yeah. is an army, a right. weird army, but it's an army. Yeah. yeah. So that's, you know, but they're such a iconic and i use that word and obviously throw up a little bit what i said but like they are i mean if you're going to talk about any warhammer faction mm. there's like like in the upper echelons of the most warhammer thing yeah i think i would maybe even make the case that skaven are the most warhammer of all the faction. factions yeah because there isn't a direct equivalent in tolkien for example like, yeah or many other fa- like fictional fantasy universes there's nothing quite like the skaven i can really think of off the no. top of my head so it really is like a very very warhammer thing the high elves they're just elves as you encounter them tall beautiful uh, you know yeah. uh, smug they're all those traits that you you we've just sort of baked into fantasy for some reason whereas the skaven yeah they're they're really contradictory and uh contrary and they're not good guys but they're not totally evil as well they're yeah. just bickering and and, and corrupted and they've you know and, and they have been absolutely all over all of the, mm, the books, you know, books yeah, right sure. like they you know they're everywhere like they're responsible for upsetting nagash's latest black pyramid <laughs> yes. scheme yeah um <laughs> <laughs> yeah they are and i, I love that um, i mean obviously anyone writing for warhammer is going to love the skaven because if you're if you like the setting the skaven are just so yeah they're always there they, they are the omnipresent just kind of I like, the, everyone. I like that we've done a kind of reverse warhammer here in that ostensibly the subject is is the new beastmen stuff <laughs> and we've avoided talking about beastmen in order to talk about skaven yeah. which is the reverse of how that would normally go <laughs> in fiction that's very true yeah <laughs> um, beastmen did it uh, beastmen did it yeah um but um 
but yeah, so I really hope that's present. But the other thing I hope it's it's sort of reflecting is obviously the way Nagash, uh, sorry, the way Legions of Nagash happened, and death. A lot of death fans were sort of like, oh, that's cool, that's a great book, but it's like, you know, we were hoping for new stuff rather yeah. than like an, a revamped set of old stuff. But then Nighthawk came along a couple of months later, mm. and like the rumors for what Dark Oath might be that as a faction now are so kind of root- well established. Yeah. Like there were rumor mongers saying that they had seen both new Beastmen stuff and new Dark Oath stuff, and didn't and, and Dark Oath as a faction and didn't know if it was one release or two releases. There were rumors for a while that there were going to be Beastmen in Dark Oath, mm. but I wonder if that was because the, these two plans both exist. Yeah. Um, and you mean you'll be allying in lots of beastmen, even presumably. Then, yeah, they're not part of that. And cool. Exactly. So, um, like, I'm I love the Dark Oath models that they've already put out. Yeah, awesome. um, and the um, you know, like, apparently that range has been complete for ages. Is the rumor I heard? Because apparently, well, the, so the rumor I specifically heard was that the, the Malign Portents Heralds with among the final models done for each of the factions right. they represent. Yeah, yeah. So the Lord Ordinator was among the last of the Sacrosanct. Or that that range was done by the mm-hmm. time that was done. And then Dark Earth War Queen, similar fungoid cave shaman. Obviously, everyone's expecting new goblins very very soon. Yeah. Um, and the other and the Night of Shrouds, obviously Nighthorn. Hmm. So like it just. It, that that is the incentive for me to try and finish off my siege because I, I will switch over to Dark Oath. Really excited about it because it's it's going to be just a lot of ordinary humans, really, like marauders, mm. and um, but in a kind of a grubbier and more I'd expect normal type of human warrior than, for example, the um, what are the corn warriors called? The uh, blood warriors. Uh, the, uh, the blood, blood warriors, the armored ones. What uh, was that? Blood reavers. Blood, blood reavers. Yeah, who are uh, almost like a little bit overly ornate for the type of warrior Look, that they are. Yeah, you've got. You know, I mean, they're corn. Right? Right? <laughs> well, we care for skulls and blood, and we're cannibals, but there's no reason hmm. not to spend a lot of time on your blacksmith training <laughs> because you've got to be able to work that beautiful filigree into stuff. Absolutely. Whereas. Uh, the, uh, the Dark Oath, based on the couple of models we've seen of them from both the Silver Tower and the uh, the other release, the War Queen, yeah. the War Queen, like they are, like almost they could be in a Conan. Yeah, novel. I mean that seems to be the guiding star, right? Yeah. Like it, it is. They are 100 percent like Frank Fazetta. Yeah, fantasy covers and things, and Which I think would look. I, I can imagine a whole horde of them together looking amazing. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just like gym bunnies, just an entire <laughs> army, <laughs> yeah, the sweatiest, beefiest <laughs> girls and boys. Yeah, I, I'm really like, um, I really like the the War Queen model as mm. in terms of the sort of. Uh, I loved painting it and the attitude expressed and stuff. And I hope if that's reflected across the entire army as well, that'd be that'd be great from, yeah. you know, from every point of view. I think um, my kind of aim is to do a Realm of Shadow. Mm. Dark Oath Army. I yes. think that's a kind of interesting kind of yeah, step cool. sideways because it goes with the board and bases I've already done to yeah. some extent. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about whether or not the ones I've done already are meaningfully Realm of Metal, which mm. is what I've done in the past. And I think I'd, I'd like to kind of take a slightly different tack with them, with the dark capes and stuff. And yeah, it's nice. kind of like the idea of like, yeah, yeah. look awesome. And it would be a, a change from painting brightly coloured Gribblemen. Yeah, and I think that like something slightly mute, more muted. I'm kind of looking forward to mm. like um, just yeah, and and also I mean, but I have no idea what they'll play like at all, right? Really, like, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Provided they actually even happen, but I, at this point, I, I'm so I'm, I've convinced myself they are to <laughs> such an extent that I'll just be I'll be baffled if they don't. Yeah, I agree. Um, so uh, the other sort of big, um, well, the other thing announced for AOS was um, Wrath and Rapture, Realm of Chaos, which is mm. like they didn't really confirm what it was. They showed a bit of art. Um, the the sort of the logic logical suggestion seems to be a kind of Blight War style 
box, which Games Workshop obviously like doing at the moment. Yeah. They just did one for Gene Steelers Cults and um, Space Wolves, mm. Forge Bane earlier in the year. They like this format of like a few exclusive new models in a kind of two army starter kit yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. This one is set in the realm of chaos and it is Corn versus Slanesh. Mm. And in the art, they show obviously demons that already exist like demonettes and, and uh, blood letters, which I wouldn't expect to get new models, mm. but also flesh hounds and um, uh, beasts of Slanesh, fiends of Slanesh, mm. the snoot beasts. Yeah, those things. The sort of the, the yeah, weird anteater the weird, horses. Yeah, anteater horses. Monsters, yeah. no, not the anteater horses. They're, they're seekers, I think. Uh, I uh, striders. I mean, the ones that are like a scorpion crab anteater. Ooh. Um, again, really old, now fine cast model. Hmm. Uh, very inefficient to get. Yeah. Similarly, flesh hounds are among the best corn units, but they're only available in expensive resin at the moment. Gotcha. So, and the, you know, they did a, a plastic flesh hound for uh, for Shadespire, which looked great. Yeah. So it seems very logical that there would be plastic flesh hounds on the way. That makes sense. So I think that's probably what's going to be in that box. It's going to be uh, interesting to see Slanesh kind of reprinted, and yeah. be really fascinating to see if they if they do a kind of uh, horticulous slimux style, you know, just one new model. Though that was actually that was a herald for an entire new range of Nurgle models. Wasn't yes, it, it was. Yeah. Release. Um, so maybe maybe this will be similar in that respect. I wouldn't. Uh, my hot prediction is um, I reckon probably like if there was a hero for each side, probably a new either a new plastic um, herald of corn on foot but probably definitely a plastic Karanak, who mm. is the two-headed hound of corn. Oh, nice. Who's really cool in game. But again, it's one of those resin it's models. Like, yeah. Um, he basically is, is corn's dog that he sets on somebody, usually a wizard that he doesn't like. And then that dog will kill you eventually. <laughs> like you might not, it, maybe not it now. It will kill you. Yeah, it yeah. will. You eventually are going to get years time. by the two-headed <laughs> dog. Um, and it'll just happen eventually. Um, but in game has a cool ability. Like you set a target at the start of the game for Karanak. And then when Karanak gets within a certain radius, he spawns a unit of flesh hounds around him and now that something's free it's just like that's pretty cool and suddenly dogs yeah that's nice um, but again I w- like I wouldn't be surprised if the if there was any flesh hound kit if building Karanek out of it was a mm. a thing that it did yeah um, and for the for Slanesh the mask of Slanesh has, has been in a few stories recently ah. and as who is a, a demonette kind of herald character a bit like the changeling but for Slanesh kind of thing part human part crab as the demonettes are for yeah reason. exactly uh, crabs the sexiest the sexiest crustacean. Uh, chaos yeah element. Uh, <laughs> crab <laughs> um, for some and, reason and uh, yeah yeah um, and um, and so you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see that as well. This is, I'm just guessing, Tom. Mm. I'm just guessing what it might be, but yeah. it seems to fit into the precedent of what's already been done. So, as you say, goblins probably going to happen, uh, given that we've seen the fungoid cave shaman, was it? Yep. And that seems to be a, an interesting. I wonder, like, so the Silver Tower, you had like goblins with many limbs, and it almost felt scuttlings, yeah. scuttlings, as though the sort of spider inclinations of the goblins had kind of fused the actual goblins themselves which is another very very aos thing for yeah yeah th- things that were once separate to fuse together you become your brand it's the theme of aos <laughs> yeah you physically merge with it and yeah. and uh, take a new form so i wonder if you can see like spider-like goblins and lots of arms and stuff and or maybe just spiders i, I, I just i'm quite interested in 
seeing a new spider range for some reason. Mm, yeah. Like, I, those spider kits are still all right. Like, yeah. I, kinda, I do wonder what they will change and update, like whether it'll they'll stick with the old... Yeah, the old um, the trouble with the old spiders is they're built to sit in ranks, so they're they're all very narrow spiders, like yeah. as though they're kind of sitting on a train. They are long and thin. <laughs> yeah, as <laughs> so though they don't want to like man spread out too much because they would disrupt the unit. Whereas like an AOS yeah. spider rider would be like could look crazy. Yeah, like if half of them aren't like dangling off something or like yeah, yeah, exactly leaping over something or standing. Up, well, the most AOS thing to do is each of them is standing on one tiny leg. It's just <laughs> spiders riding a larger spider and some yeah. goblins are there too. Yeah, though you've got to assemble web filament yourself. <laughs> Um, if they succeed in something like yeah push fit push fit web filament that yeah. you if you breathe on it collapses <laughs> who uh, knows what new technology indeed thanks cad um but yeah so that's uh the other kind of aos adjacent thing that has happened um or is happening is something i guess we saw coming uh which is uh night vault mm. um warhammer underworld's night vault uh basically a message to the community that we will force you to stop calling it shade spire <laughs> <laughs> so we've had a shady spire and now i've got a 90 volt <laughs> a 90 volt yeah well these are the those are the names of the um the uh ios store mobile games associated <laughs> with these uh, yeah, properties yeah. 90 90 volt and uh shady spire um like so it seems like it's, it is literally like a plot sequel as well as a mm. um as well as a, a follow-up to the game. So it's a new core set for Shades Spire, but it's Shades Spire Season 2. It doesn't replace... Like, the old boards are still viable. It's a new set of boards, for one thing. Um, it's The old boards are still viable. The old cards and warbands are all compatible. But it introduces a new mechanic, which is magic. It'll be interesting to see how that works. Mm. Um, and the the new core set factions, as predicted a long time ago, when we were talking about pre- the prior to the Age of Sigma 2nd Edition announcement, is Sacrosanct and Nighthaunt. So it's uh, a very, uh, like, sort of thorny banshee hmm. and her little chain rasp mates. This, uh, it's the second, so the, the first, uh, the Spockle Guard were seven strong undead. No, it's a new seven strong undead faction that's probably yeah. going to behave very differently and hopefully a, a little bit easier to use than the Spockle Guard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm terrible with. <laughs> yeah. I still run them though. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, you know, there's, there's a lot of honour in, in sticking with one thing, <laughs> even though you, as I you know, my most recent Shades of experience is a test, even though you just keep running into a brick wall. Yeah. Um, like yeah, it'll be interesting to see how other factions interact with the magic system. I suspect my guess would be that um, that things like dispelling and stuff it would be, it'd be logical to have cards interact with that in some way. Yeah, and as soon as you've added generic ploys and things to the game then obviously it, it, it updates the game for everybody else as well. Yeah, so. And they've, they've done stuff like uh, release uh, a pack of hero cards that mm. just sort of soft updates the game and you could do that with magic potentially you just have like a, a pack of magic cards that is multi-faction compatible yeah. uh, for the factions that would use them yeah 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 so like i think it's, it's interesting um but yeah it's just i i'm i'm all for it like i kind of feel a bit guilty that i didn't finish painting all my shades by warbands same yeah um, i like to i like to kind of finish that up but honestly i've had such a like i haven't played shades by in ages no actually. same yeah i've uh got a pack of the uh, vanguard hunter faction yeah and i just haven't even opened the cards to look through them uh and th- those models are really cool and I really like them, yeah. they would slot directly into my army obviously because you know it's got loads of vanguard hunters already and they also seem to be quite good <laughs> Yeah. shooting is amazing in the game so. yeah they were the ones i was thinking of doing like i, I can't really decide like um i've stuck with blood rivers at like all costs too thick and thin basically mm. and then had my obviously a disastrous uh, time with them at the last tournament i did by building a bad deck but i i think i'm sort of compelled to stick with them although i probably would like to give blood warriors a try yeah. as well but they're really cool yeah. yeah they're really cool um 
Good. I'm glad that they've, it's not a total refresh. I, I didn't really ever think they would no. just put fact, anything into I, Like, I saw that going around, people worrying about that, and I'm, I'm 90% sure... Like, for, it was in my head that this was going to happen, basically, as soon as Shades by, Shades by One came mm. out. And I think it might simply be because at some point in the past, like, whether it was on a stream or in, in White Dwarf or something like that, they said fairly explicitly that oh, this right. was the plan, yeah. like a yearly corset. I always felt like I knew. I don't, yeah. I don't know how <laughs> I got the information. Um, but it, it's so much like card games. It's yes. so much like where, yeah. where, like, you know, it goes through seasons and things. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a situation where, for example, season one cards get banned in season three, mm. right? Like, yeah. Which is kind of the magic way of doing yeah. things, or or seasons where the cards get rotated out mm. for a bit, uh, which would be a really cool way of, of keeping the game fresh. So yeah. you know, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm kind of all all for that, really. Mm. Good. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, we are we're motoring through the the old um, bashing through the news. The news. Uh, speaking of the uh, Chase by Design team, Kill Team came out. Yeah. Um, and is really good. <laughs> like, someone I know owns the box me chris <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I was so impressed you showed me the scenery yesterday yeah and uh it looks a fan that was a weird one because like so i haven't actually had a chance to um like play it myself yet although i've, I've you know been around people playing it and really like the look of it and we're working on my my warband my kill team as they say yeah. uh it's they not called warband it's called um it's called kill team um uh but we maybe get to we talk about what we've been up to hobby wise but um like it's a really like this is, I think Kill Team really is the big release that we missed by missing an episode, if that yeah. makes sense. Cause obviously at this point, our hot takes about it are at least a month late. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is the sort of, um, squad level sort of, uh, you know, sort of skirmish game for 40k. And, uh, it's, I really like the rule set. Um, it is, it's, I feel a bit sorry for both Shadow War Armageddon yeah. and myself. <laughs> right. Um, because Shadow War Armageddon was sent out as to, to deliver this. Um, and people were very excited about it because it was kind of also the return of Necromunda in terms yeah. of the setup. Um, right before 8th edition 40k came out and no one really wanted to play with adapted 7th edition rules anymore. Mm. Then Necromunda came out. Yeah. And now this is out. Yeah. It's so, like yeah. I've never seen a game <laughs> so more thoroughly stomped by within it. a year. <laughs> it's like just yeah, a night. But when the dust settles, if I know Shadow War Armageddon core book is going to sit there on my shelf useless for forever now. Mm. Um, this is, um, you know, kind of what I wanted that to be. Yeah. Like, um, cool rule set that learns good lessons from major sigma second edition um command points mm. um well it's some its use of command points feels more like aos's than 40k's uh, because of how you get them mm. um which i like um smart rules that kind of rein in shooting and make it very dramatic i'd like to play some with you so we can talk about this yeah i'd love to I, I love the um there's quite a lot of personality individual personalities built into the rules yeah as well, which is what i always loved about more time for example and there's something that the shadow war didn't just kind of ignored your dudes were just part of a unit and that was i'm it. i'm impressed by the amount of time they give to kind of like role playing in the book cool. like you know the the core book gets a lot done because it has to introduce the game and um all the scenarios and all the rules and all and all of the factions at least at launch mm. and loads of these uh, specializations that your specialist characters can level up into and all this stuff but it still has time in each of those faction summaries to have tables for personalities names that kind of thing nice. like the space marine one has like name tables for different chapters oh wow so it's like that's awesome. ultramarine names and salamander names are different so yeah, like, yeah yeah um and that's a lot of like you know it really encourages you to take the step of naming your characters and I, I i like that obviously i'm very pro that as but like you know for me it's like um i don't know whether this is a, a weird thing to say but like 
sometimes it's necessary to like destigmatize role playing a bit. It's a bit like you get into an, a nerdy environment. People convince themselves it's not a, not a nerdy fun environment hmm. by emphasizing just mechanic mechanics and play, right? Yeah. Like, and but I think I think naming your your models is like quite a big part of Warhammer. Yeah. Along with painting them, like having a sense of who they are and investing in their personalities and what and the horrible things that happen to them inevitably yeah. over the course. Of yes, the exactly. Uh, so the uh, in Kill Team, do they have rules for kind of consecutive? campaigns like consecutive game campaigns yeah so you so yeah it's it's good actually so it's it's now it's in the now defined format of open play narrative play Mm. match play basically and the way match play works match play doesn't use the xp system um because uh but you know when you can assign specializations but you just get the level one ability for all of them okay if you play campaigns then there's like adds like a resource system and you can cash that in for upgrades and things nice not a pop maybe to your gear i'm not quite sure how that works partly because the the um faction i'm building doesn't have any gear upgrades because they're perfect already um but it means that you can like level up your characters and things and and but one of the cool ways that that kind of influences um match play one of the ideas i like is uh, technically obviously you, you, it's 100 points is the limit for the team um but your roster is up to 20 units and you'll never get 20 to 100 points but the idea is you assemble your kill team for every game you play so if mm. you go to a tournament you go with your roster of 20 ah. and then you you know see your opponent and i don't know exactly how you do this in terms of picking blind or whatever but you assemble your Kill, kill team out of your roster which is a neat way of gotcha. doing it yeah that's interesting so, so you've got a sideboard essentially yeah basically you can pick from yeah cool so um and yeah so like it's got some neat stuff and and it was interesting because when it came along i was sort of very much on my like uh no more new models really want to get through stuff uh ben and so my plan but my plan was like you know I, at the time i was thinking that i might pick up um just a book and a box of rubric marines and 2000 suns uh which would be an obvious choice for me and then i decided that i kind of wanted to do something a little bit different um but also looking at the price of um the rule book a rule book and a box of rubric marines is basically just just south of 50 quid and the core set um is 80 and uh for that 80 however the terrain you get with it is kind of extraordinary yeah, like the you know this the skitarii and gene stealer cults models i really like as models i don't really have a particular plan for them yet but um actually through getting two separate boxes now each of which uh for something that wasn't skitarii but also happened to include skitarii <laughs> i've ended up with like an unassembled about 500 points skitarii yeah, nice. so, like that's right uh, which will happen at some point but it's a great faction I love, uh, yeah i love just love the models yeah. like, and they're, they're just like they feel like just perennially good models yeah like, to, to have so i wouldn't sell them on or anything but but the terrain, like, that's the kind of thing I want to talk about. So I had a bit of a big terrain building thing because it's just a fun thing to do. Mm. Sit in the sit in the conservatory in of the morning and build cathedrals. I find it far less stressful than doing models which, mm. for some reason. I think maybe it's just uh, the fear of getting plastic glue on some detail and having it just dissolve away. Whereas big old buildings, like if they're a little bit sloppy, it's, they're crumbling buildings, so it's fine. Yeah, it is fine. And like, there's. Um, like also so recently i did some like a citadel wood which is a horrible kit <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> i, I looks cool i understand now why you did yours without leaves yeah because fuck the leaves <laughs> it's that horrible plastic that doesn't quite take plastic glue properly yeah and your, your contact area is like a, a slippery divot <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh the 
the plastic itself and the the quality of the sculpt seems to be far superior to the Age of Sigma terrain that we have, which uh, I do like and looks really good once you've painted it up, but it's, it's a nightmare to use, really. I suspect this stuff is manufactured in Nottingham. Right. Because I know that a lot of the Chinese China, kits, the, uh, the, 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 sorry, the scenery kits are manufactured in China mm-hmm. have completely different um, plastics yeah. in a completely different process, and it shows. Like, yeah. it's just a lot worse, um, unfortunately. But, like, but the... Um, <coughs> But yeah, it's not just the, the quality of the kit either. It's like the modular, the planned modularity is like mm. just, it's, you know, cause they are tougher kits to assemble than like the Azerite ruins for Age of Sigma or the riser pattern ruins for 40k, which are both very much like push fit one and done yeah. terrain in a box stuff. These are kits, right? They are model kits. They require a little bit more time, mm. but you know, so this, this, I, I basically started saying this is like first set, but basically did these out based on the instructions in the book. Uh, because I just to learn it, but as I was going, I started realizing like how much stuff you could build with them, and like I won't get around to this anytime soon. But now I kind of you know if I ever you know had a windfall of cash and just didn't know what to do with it, there's lots of things I probably would do with it. But I kind of want to build a cathedral now without this yeah, stuff. It's, nice. it is, it's that it looks so cool and like the um, I love I love diorama stuff like just so much, and and it has all of that kind of you know it just it's super exciting watching it come together yeah, yeah and something i've done with mine is not assemble um anything but a single story so even when it suggests putting like little sort of decorative column stubs in place on like the upper levels of ruined buildings and things i'm not mm. because it means that you can take things that could you, basically the entire set of stuff can be spread out as like scatter terrain or piled on top of each other to kind of create big multi-level buildings mm. and having a kit that easily does both with no glue required because they they kind of clip in together enough that unless you really can't stop flailing around like well what you're playing you're not going to knock it over so it's you know it's it's uh, yeah this i was really impressed by it it's almost like worth the price of the box to Mm. be honest i mean you get more than it's definitely more than it would cost more than 80 quid to get all that stuff yeah especially given i mean they have released a lot of the terrain separately i believe you can get they have yeah various and the stuff that isn't in the box obviously yeah so uh, they've also um, already released a bunch of expansions for it or at least they're imminent yeah which add uh, new types of terrain derived from the other kits they have so there's the weird kind of alien trees is one like from an alien biome or whatever and then they've also got uh the pipes the kind of industrial the sector mechanic and stuff yeah i I really like that kit as well Mm. yeah the other thing is because um the um the the game board that is included like the fold-out cardboard kind Mm. of play surface is really high quality i mean what it is is a high quality photograph of a well-painted um realm of battle board right but that is a really clever thing to do for people who don't want to buy spend hundreds of pounds on real battle boards yes yes um so uh that sort of folds out and the train is kind of designed to sort of almost like a line with the street pattern oh, on, the, on the board awesome. and it's just like instantly looks yeah, good yeah, it's like fantastic. god if this stuff had been around like I, i've still got my mordheim box mm. and the cardboard and plastic train oh, that yeah? came with that yeah gosh, and you know i sound like the world's oldest man but like like the the difference in in the quality of a similar sort of thing mm separated by 20 years is kind of staggering yeah, like amazing. if like if i if we'd had plastic modular terrain kits from mordheim imagine if they brought if they brought back mordheim with this production value incredible uh, yeah I'd spend all the money God, i really want them to do that an aos version of it right you could just have, yeah have like as right palaces that have been erected by stormcast or you could have like chaos dens like you know you could have lots of different oh, styles God, I, I really want that more than anything like and also like i mean we're not going to talk about it loads because i don't think either of us has loads to say about it but um there's a new 
Speed Freaks, which is coming out, which mm. is, you know, an orc buggy racing game. Yeah. That's close enough to Gorka Morka <laughs> to true. be basically Gorka Morka. Yeah, so surely, <laughs> surely this is the pattern. Necromunda's back. That's back. Battlefield Gothic, mm, somewhere. They made noises Epic's about back, it. which we'll yeah. get to. Yeah, that's true. Like, justice for Mordheim. I get, uh, there's something very kind of old Warhammer about Mordheim, though. Uh, there is, yeah. It's, and AOS has kind of moved on as a setting, and Mordheim is almost like the polar opposite to where as uh, AOS is going. Yeah, yeah. You could do it in the glorious, uh, the glorious palaces of Sigma. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. No, I don't know. <laughs> really. It'd look rad, though, wouldn't it? Imagine. Yeah. Oh, I just... Uh, they should still do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I agree. I'm really, really looking forward to playing as a kill team, actually, because I've got a box of Skatari Sk- mm. Vanguard slash Hunters, whatever they're called. Um, it's like a dual kit. And uh, I've always wanted to kind of build them up and convert them and yeah. put loads of attention into each one, and kill team is just perfect. And the nice thing it. about it with those dual kits is if you wanted to have a mixture of Vanguard and Rangers, yeah, you can have a mixture of Vanguard. Yeah, you know, okay. Just plan it out, basically. Like. So all I do is I'd, I'd definitely like plan it out, have a mix of those two, and then probably get some Sakarian rust stalkers uh, and then that'll probably be quite a good kill team first yeah i would i would strongly recommend um either getting the book or um to be honest, you can borrow the book if you like just because it's worth planning yeah you know exactly you what you're going to do because like, like people uh long-time listeners of the podcast might be wondering why i'm not doing a harlequins kill team because mm. i painted three yeah, harlequins yeah. shadow war and that's because i love harlequins um and i was thinking about it but um harlequins are the faction whose rules have changed the most mm. from Shadow War to Kill Team. They've gone from being an extremely elite faction to being a, uh, to being costed basically aligned with everybody else. Uh, more of, not a horde thing, but like far more models. But also they're kind of, uh, I th- this is something that annoys me a little bit, but like, cause most of the time, the uh, equipment options you've got in, in Kill Team in terms of how you can, you know, equip your various things is uh calibrated sort of based on what's in the what's in the infantry box basically that's not the case for harlequins right there are weapons in the harlequin set that you can't use oh, okay in kill team huh. like power swords and stuff and i unfortunately used all only those things uh, no. so the three models that i've done are completely kind uh, of unusable unless i do counts as and if i do counts as then kind of what's the point because like it's kill team yeah. it should be if there was ever a game where you were going to really you know uh, represent every aspect of that model's equipment mm. on their being then that's this is the one so half a dozen models. so you know and it was to the point where i wouldn't even be able to make a valid kill team out of what was left in the box i'd have to buy a new box of harlequins and if okay. i'm doing that yeah it's like I, yeah so it's i love doing uh necrons instead Ray. Right. Uh, right. um yeah so maybe we can move on to talking about the hobby side of that in a moment because there are two other bits of news i want to get through yeah, while we catch up but it's interesting to like, talk about where we stand with things one's adeptus titanicus mm. which is out now it is out and it's, it looks cool but they're expensive <laughs> yeah me. we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we uh, played yeah. the game that we will get to in the battle report in a bit um but yes you know you're right it is pricey i think it came out within a couple of weeks or a month of kill team and i think given what i was just saying about like the the feeling of of completeness for kill mm-hmm. team from that box i think that's something that the at least the big box for at uh, didn't have mm. I think it's 100 it was 175 quid which is yeah. just a lot is it is it kind of Forge World and GW just kind of, it's, no, it's not it's it's, G, it's, it's GW, GW. It, it's the same as Necromunda in that mm. it's sort of um, shared by the two I think like right. Necrom- uh, Forge World will do sort of bonus kits but 
mm. the main stuff is GW plastic. And it feels as though for a full size, a full maniple or whatever they're called, um, you do need like two or three titans probably, mm. and then loads of smaller things. And each one of those titans is sixty five pounds, and they're they're, they're the really cool models, but they're not like huge. And, I, and it does I don't quite understand why they are they are that price, you know, compared to a lot of other comparable GW kits. Yeah, it's interesting how expensive it is in a weird way. Yeah. It's like I, I mean, there's a there's an old argument that pricing of GW kits is sometimes based on how many of them you're likely to buy. Hmm. So that's why. A lot of hero models are like twenty two quid, yeah, because it's probably the only one you will ever buy. Purchase, yeah. Like, um, but yeah, like I, I was so excited about it, and I still am actually. But like, I think it arrived at a time where I'd suddenly become a bit more cautious about big investments in in GW games mm. or any kinds of games like this because I was sort of aware of how many games I realistically play, and I didn't want to buy in and not ever really play it yeah if that makes sense although yeah. i i do love the the theme and the you know, desperately would love to get into it eventually one thing that sort of sits to the side of this though is it's done really well by all accounts it's sold out everywhere mm, um and just anecdotally like it's all over both my miniatures instagram and all of the sort of bristol area wargaming cool sort of groups i'm aware of yeah, yeah. which suggests that you know it's like that was my big worry for it that it becomes that self-fulfilling prophecy mm. where it's expensive so it doesn't sell so no one's playing it yeah. so it doesn't sell and then it dies which i really don't want for it but i think it's one of those things where like maybe next year i think there's gonna be another printing of the big box mm. and that might be a time where mm. it's like this is the time to get into it if there's an existing yeah. scene for example i love the models and I, as you say the fancy is amazing and the i love even the sort of cardboard uh, kind of interfaces mm. you have for each titan you kind of move tokens around to controlled by systems something very tactile and satisfying about that yeah um, I, i'd love to yeah just play a couple of games just to see what it's like uh but yeah you're right for me it's it'd take a lot to invest in it i think yes i think it particularly at the because it's a big you know for me it would be a big awe against something mm. else a bit further down the line like yeah. dark earth for example or something like that both yeah. in terms of money and hobby time although they are really lovely kits mm. like i i mean talking about you know modelers kits basically like i think yeah. one of the things you're paying for with those is just a number of options and the posability and the fact that that's true like that's true even just subtle things like they've started designing for magnets hmm. so they're putting oh, like, like spaces for neodymium magnets on the models oh, that's now, really cool is, actually that's really really good actually yeah i'd, I'd love to that. see them roll that attitude out yeah, basically absolutely yeah hmm. um final thing i wanted to mention kind of briefly because it happened and we've never mentioned that it even exists is um sort of uh, because it's been a busy couple of months basically last week week before um the middle earth battle game got what is functionally its second edition right and given that the first edition came out like 15 16 years ago that's yeah. kind of a big thing mm. and i i so the originals of lord of the rings battle game that games workshop did came out after i kind of moved away from warhammer as a teenager yeah so it and it, it's one of the biggest things they've ever done and i, I was talking to um, manager of our local GW about like kind of why it's coming back. I was sort of expecting yeah. it to fade out right Same. in the middle of the stuff. Same. But apparently the reason for it is that, um, or one of the reasons which is interesting is that GW kind of understand that, um, that their audience does go away from between the ages of like 16 and 30 <laughs> and then they come back again. Yeah. Um, and right now the generation of people who were playing Warhammer as teenagers when Lord of the Rings came out for whom it is their Warhammer mm. Uh, now coming back into the hobby and there's a lot of interest in sort of picking it up again yeah. and um 
and actually like uh, i'll probably get over this but i did i did have the kind of like oh this is interesting mm. and there's a couple of reasons for that one is the the rule system is i don't want to go too deep in it but actually i was like just watched a few games being played and kind of and I really appreciate that it's a little bit more grounded and realistic. It's more like a historical in some ways yeah. than AOS is time consuming, but like very different actually in terms of how it resolves, even how fighting works. Huh. Um, every, you know, every model fights individually. There are no units. So, and it's based on who that model is near. Yeah. So that kind of particular kind of granularity of like this orc is fighting this person and that is that fight. It's not this block of dice is weighing up its casualties against this block of dice, yeah. etc. Um, Similarly, like a ranged combat system where, uh, you know, occlusion is everything, you know, uh, a cover save isn't like a one up on your save. It's rolling to see if you hit all of the things between the shooter and the target, including walls, um, other combats, that kind of thing. So there's a lot more kind of dynamic emergent potential in the rules. Like if you paint almost every model with a horse comes with an not on a horse awesome model because you can be knocked off your horse oh well and then you become a foot soldier huh, that's really and that's for every kind of cavalry in the game which it's more is more of a simulation yeah that kind of simulationist thing yeah um yeah and it's just sort of like and there's something about the fact that like because the models are quite a bit smaller because they're actually 28 mil yeah, scale rather than that. 40 rather than warhammer like where like we have stretched the definition of 28 and you can't stretch the definition of a measurement tom that doesn't make <laughs> and, sense and yet um here we are all of that stuff um one thing that uh struck me is actually like the sense of scales a little bit greater mm. like i didn't realize because you know the, the size of the tables you play on hasn't really changed but as warhammer models have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger the space looks smaller yeah yeah the space looks smaller huh. and so That's you know quite- a big you know huge pack of riders of rohan or something moving around actually looks kind of army like mm. and um that's um you know uh, that was just it was it's a very subjective thing but it made me realize that um like as a kid i had this impression of warhammer games being massive like unattainably massive yeah. more models than you could ever afford or paint um and obviously as i got bigger the tables seemed smaller <laughs> but also the models got bigger <laughs> yeah. so warhammer's just seemed more and more manageable over time because mm. it's now it's like i'm bigger they're bigger <laughs> like um <laughs> yeah i know what you mean um but actually like so yeah i am sort of tempted by it actually mm, interesting partly because it scales really well so it plays really well with small model counts but like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna pl- try a demo game and see how i feel interesting part of me just really double. wants to paint some saxons mm. by which i mean R- Roarim, but yeah, yeah. what I mean is, what's in the Saxons? Uh, what's the, what are the factions? Are the core set is called uh, Battle of Penelope Fields, which right. is the battle outside Minas oh, Tirith. Yeah, so it's you get uh, something like a dozen riders of Rohan, a dozen uh, warriors of Rohan, which is partly so that you've got the foot versions of the riders of Rohan. Right. Uh, Theoden on horse and sounds horse hmm. um and horse go wrong mode <laughs> um awesome. 20 of those ghosts yeah. the good ghosts or they come out the crack yeah good ghosts <laughs> what come from the crack that's the translation of the elvish um <laughs> like 20 odd maybe even 30 orcs oh, well. a troll and a um uh the witch king of angmar on the fell the beast dragon-y, dragon-y serpenty thing that's quite a good, um and quite a good set. that uh that that set is responsible for me having the phrase 
which king of angmar this king of angmar <laughs> stuck in my head oh, for no. a week and a half <laughs> thank you everyone else can have that now um spread like a virus now <laughs> but yeah so i know it's a bit sort of left field to be like and also lord of the rings was there but like it's been sat and like you know gw's kind of back mm. catalog for ages and i just never really even even considered it seriously it's always been there and i always sort of associated it with the films yeah uh, it is very much based on the it's the film version of uh, Tolkien. The, yeah. yeah and and so when the film stopped and you know became the hobbit films <laughs> which weren't amazing yeah then like it, it's i assumed it would just fade away and go away there isn't there a, a lord of the rings television series in production? i think there is yeah so Amazon i wonder if it's like it's kind of hanging around to catch that wave again well i wonder if so i think for me it's like because yeah like I, I you know i was i was the perfect age to be completely wowed by lord of the rings as movies and yeah, that original so. trilogy of movies i think are great um you know over long and but so the books you know what i mean they're kind of like this yeah. great big you know quite fitting like you know i think they are they're so important to like what would subsequently happen with fantasy storytelling on screen right yeah. there's no game of thrones without those it's movies yeah. um and um but they've been so they're so tremendously undermined by the hobbit movies for mm. me that it's sort of um it, this reminds me of there was a period in my life where i didn't give a shit about star wars it was a narrow period of my life, <laughs> but it took place because the prequels ruined it so much. Right. And like, I, I still loved the original movies, but I kind of just moved on from it for a while. Mm. And then years later, kind of came back to it with X-Wing and then the new movies came out and I liked them. And then there was, there was good stuff again, you know, mm. and it was sort of happening again. And then I realized how much I, you know, reconnected with something that I loved. And Lord of the Rings is definitely in that middle period for me now where it's like, you know, the book, I, I loved the books as a kid. So, you know, it's it'd been a part of my life for a long time and the movies were amazing. Mm. And then, then it became bad and over 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 milked yeah. and kind of whatever but as low fantasy um you know we're talking about how much we love that age of sigma is doing to kind of distance fantasy from tolkien reinventing those old tropes mm. so it's not just heroes and dwarves etc yeah um but there's still be- there's still something appealing about those old tropes and if you're kind of not going to get them from the warhammer old world why not kind of go to the source, go to the source yeah <laughs> go to the og uh, yeah kind of uh medieval fantasy rural fantasy kind of mm. aesthetic that's interesting so i'm a little bit tempted I'm a little bit tempted mm. it's a skirmish game isn't it it's like a rank game um it's a skirmish game yeah so there's some round bases in fact it's, it's movement and kind of coherence rules are far looser than aos it's oh, right. like because all of your models move individually mm. um they can go wherever the fuck they want oh right like you you i think it's um i'm, I'm still very much a novice so i might annoy people who know the game better by trying to explain it like this but essentially uh from watching it it's like you have leaders that and each leader you recruit into your army gives you the ability to add other models to your army. Right. So, you, like, I don't know, Theoden can take 12 other models with him and you pick what they are. Mm. Um, but they then don't have to stay with him in the game or right. even really with each other. You, and you buy the models individually. So you don't have a unit of riders. Or riders. Oh, okay. But, but there are a lot of, like, buffs and things. So there's a lot of reasons to want to be near a hero. So, like, um, an interesting mechanic, which... Um, I saw sort of used in interesting ways is um, your heroes have like stocks of particular stats basically mm. um, and those stats are kind of like command points in a way but they're specific to heroes so imagine if each of your heroes in AOS had its own stock of command points right? For, and that was it for the game there's no way of getting more it's you know that's mm. it for the game so one thing you can do is like like AOS sort of roll for priority you know variable priority mm. but if you lose priority you can declare like a heroic move where you if you if you desperately want to move first and then you lose the roll off you can choose a hero to declare priority to declare a kind of heroic move for mm-hmm. every model near him 
Okay. And then they get to move first. Yeah. Unless your opponent matches your bid, basically. Gotcha. And rests initiative back. And that, mm. that is very, seems very reactive and kind of interesting. Neat. So, yeah, neat. And that was, yeah, but, just, yeah. How much is the, uh, the new box? It's, a. Uh, 80 quid hmm. it's the standard, standard kind of course that, kind of thing. but it comes with the you know the rule book and like 80 models or something like yeah. so it's you know cool. not a terrible value but like you know um i've got enough to be getting on with i think but yeah. it's you know i think anyone who's into these games will recognize the feeling of like going like oh no i want this mm. for about a week i know exactly what you mean <laughs> and so yeah that's where i've been at oh cool mm. Mm. and that's literally all the news tom well it's not all the news but it's, all it's the way more but yeah yeah, I, yeah. So, no, I like what what do we think the news is going to look like in the coming month or two? What's on the, what's imminent? I think I guess it's more kill team, isn't it? Yeah. So there's kill teams. Oh, it's kill team rogue trader, which we sort of oh, failed yeah, to talk that's about. True. That's super interesting. Looking at beautiful models. We'll probably not get the box because yeah. don't really want any of them. Mm. They're just nice. Yeah. Um, lovely Doberman. Lovely Doberman. Um, <laughs> Space Doberman. Um, good Doberman. Uh, ten out of ten. Um, so the. I guess because there's a big, you know, there's the Beast of Chaos stuff and then there's Orktober. So I imagine well, it'll be a lot of Orcs. Mm. And Night Vault must be out soon. Yeah. In the coming month, I assume. Yeah. Maybe. So I guess that's kind of going to be it. I mean, you never know what they're going to announce. I'm hoping that there's rumours of like Black Legion for Christmas and things. So cool. Abaddon. Uh, but a better model yeah, so, yeah. A, be- a better metal a better model <laughs> he really he really needs one um, bless that old model <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's cool but mini funny. mini Abaddon and his big hand <laughs> the smallest man um, but yeah I do not know like I think I uh, maybe it'd be in order to segue into what we're planning I'd be really happy for a kind of quiet couple of months of stuff I don't want mm. um, and some then some clarity on what's coming <laughs> so that I can not I can uh, basically clear our existing shame pile and move into a new shame pile with intent. How about you? I think that's very similar. I've just got loads of sacrosanct to paint and then I'll use this guitar I think as a way to break it up and I'll eventually end up with a, quite a large sacrosanct army. Uh, so I'm, pu- I'm putting off buying any of the big new heroes. I'd quite like to get the Aventus Fire Strike model, mm. uh, which is the uh, Lord on Torilon. Yeah. Torilon is just like a kind of giant angry dog with big wings. And that's cool. Uh, the Dracula models are cool as well. Just kind of giant angry cats with wizards on them. So yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of those eventually. Uh, but not imminently at all, because I just want to get through the second core set's worth of stuff I have now, <laughs> which is going to yeah. take quite a while, I think. Yeah, so it's, it must be kind of a weird situation to be with Stormcast, because you finished your shame pile, which I'm very jealous of. But I have the thing of like, when I finish all of the Zinch models I want, which is not too far off now, yeah. I, I can legit expect that there aren't going to be new Zinch models probably for years mm, right I, yeah. I had the update so that's done right you never like, you never done with stormcast no it's going to keep on it's a subscription service to gold, <laughs> it absolutely is uh, it, it absolutely is and in a year's time i expect there'll be another chamber and more heroes and stuff and i'll probably still buy them yeah but that, that's kind of, that's what you, you know what you're getting into when you invest in the the poster boy kind of faction for for a given game system yeah. you know it's going to be sported and you're always going to get new stuff which is part of the fun of it it's like chaos you're always going to, there's always going to be new chaos stuff yeah. in some description that's the nice thing is having this grand alliance that can go back to you everything precisely. kind of works together yeah precisely and I'd, I'd love to see some destruction so I think some new moon clan would be awesome for the game yeah that maybe is the missing link for mm. you know maybe like there's a tendency I think in recent times at GW for, for a for like 
releases across 40k and, and AOS somewhat mirror each other like yeah space marine legions chaos space marine legions in particular demon factions into mortals mm. so maybe something like october into grotvember <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. That, that'd be fun. I mean, it's, it feels like the most underserved Grand Alliance by a long way. Now that yeah. Death's had a load of new stuff. So yeah, give us give us some destruction. Give us a tasty little bit of destruction in Games Workshop. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, exciting. Let's talk about our month, kind of sporadic as it has been uh, in hobby, hobby month. stuff. What have you been up to, Tom? Um, I haven't done a huge amount. I've mostly just been finishing my sequiturs, which uh, was mostly a matter of pinning down the colour scheme wanted to do, and then just very machine like going through the purple bits yeah <laughs> the you know they look really good I really like them thank you yeah I like the army's become gotten darker like literally <laughs> yes like, it has yeah. so yeah the the kind of um the underskirt the kind of robes underneath underneath uh, i've done in almost like black leather so they look a bit heavier and they look a little bit more in, like imposing the silhouettes mm. quite imposing when you paint that black and you tend to see them painted with um, a lot of white robes and kind of paladin like whereas but i i wanted something a little bit a little bit different from a lot of the other sequiturs I've seen on Instagram and stuff like that. So I've went with black and purple and gold. And purple and gold, it's just a guaranteed nice fit. It's just, it looks great. Yeah, it really does. Uh, so yeah, they, they were really fun to paint. I love those models as well. I think they're absolutely spot on for the fantasy of what the Stormcast should look and feel like. Mm. Um, that mix of just uh, kind of paladin and also there's something quite workmanlike about like them. a blacksmith yeah exactly because they've got instead of ha- normal hammers they've got like the storm smite mauls i think they're called yeah a very kind of odd it's an anvil on a stick <laughs> exactly right yeah and and so that there's a, they look like workmanlike in a way they're there mm. to just do a job and like <laughs> professionals <laughs> yeah ghosts they're like yeah they're, i was going to say they were like plumbers that are designed to kill ghosts what i've just described is the ghostbusters <laughs> oh, yeah they're pretty close to be honest they're pretty cl- they're, they're, one of the the primes you can build has like a, an actual ghostbuster trap which she's yeah. holding there and she's just sucking the soul out of a, a corpse and uh, it's, it's very much like you might as well give them the the old ghostbuster backpacks at yeah. this point um but yeah they're awesome uh, i just need to paint the the general up and then start running the sacrosanct as an actual sacrosanct army uh and start exploring the synergies between the, yeah. the wizards and the evocators as well which uh i'm doing that almost like disney characters the way i've painted them because they've got like bright red robes because i really want them to stand out from the rest of the rank and file so the sequiturs and the new crossbow dudes are going to be black and gold and purple and the evocators are going to be these like bright red you know you, you're not going to miss forget them. where they are yeah <laughs> And ostentatious and kind of runes glowing in their robes and stuff like that. I, I want to. That's really cool. Yeah, I want to go. Really I really like how you have managed to get like lots of other colours into Hammers of Sigma mm. without without it. Well, it's still you know I think it, you know it's identifiable as a Hammers of Sigma army. Yes, uh, and that's like I you don't want to break the army by getting away from the core gold and blue thing. Yeah, uh, because if, if I started to paint them completely differently, it would look like I've got a few different armies uh, so the, the gold and blue is always consistent that's always on on there um, but gold and blue is quite sort of neutral in a way you can put lots of different colours with it and it looks fine and uh, it doesn't actually break the cohesion so yeah that's it's looking quite nice at the moment mm. um, yeah the good I still love painting Stormcast uh, I've got still got my Night Haunts as well and uh, I'm really looking forward to doing something 
very different with them uh, so I, I like looking at instagram just to sort of see what not to do in a way the loads of stuff looks amazing yeah yeah but it also looks almost i, I want to be less predictable with my painting with my color mm. color choices and i want to sort of break out of the you know almost the games workshop pots in a way and start to mix colors start to think of weird color combinations that you don't see any elsewhere which means there are going to be some disastrous models <laughs> that uh, are just going to look horrendous but i've, I've got to accept that and just paint my grim ghast reapers what the, the the normal kind of rank and file of the night one that you get in the core box and uh try some just really weird shit with them and just use them as kind of test models for techniques mm. and things uh, and might accidentally come out with a good idea for something yeah <laughs> cool idea. i really want to do um for example instead of just like doing the ghostly bits of their hands and their faces white and then washing it or whatever i want to actually paint them silver and then use washes over silver mm. to create a kind of a sense of internal glow almost if the, the light reflecting off the model will create a, a sort of uh, maybe this is the, uh, the experiment mm. create a kind of what's the word for it just a, a, an odd effect like a almost yeah. like a weird looking weird looking but kind of glowy and kind of a strange texture uh, and washes over silver dulls the silver as well mm. and i wonder if you stack them up you can actually get a sort of semi just very subtly reflective surface mm. that's almost like subsurface skin scattering type effect um so yeah we're gonna experiment with all that with my night haunt yeah like a painting cool. project yeah awesome mm. how about yourself you've been painting some necrons <laughs> yeah i've been painting necrons speaking of ghosts speaking of silver and me- on, speaking of metal ghosts <laughs> yeah maybe i'll just paint my uh <laughs> yeah. night haunt as necrons <laughs> yeah, exactly. i actually saw an amazing uh flayed one conversion which was uh, putting necron heads on grimgraft reapers oh. and like so like and having the energy effect be more like they're kind of phasing in and out of reality rather than they're literally ghosts huh. which is a nice that's idea. A cool idea so yeah so um i've actually i painted quite a lot since we last recorded an episode but that's more to do with the fact that we you know remember got an episode for a long time <laughs> um so yes so the necrons i've been working on i'm kind of hoping to have done by the end of this week because i might put some work in progress photos into the show notes um so my i think i may have mentioned this on the on the um the little interstitial kind of um apology episode i did but so i might reiterate some stuff but basically so um a little while ago i sort of i had one of those feelings that you have for about a week where you you really get into sort of an idea and I actually followed through on this one so i started picking up some necron stuff because um they were just coming out they were just getting a codex yeah and i really like their new model specifically but there's also a lot about necrons generally that i really like they've like changed a lot over the years haven't they? yeah they're, they're very different to i think they're probably among the 40k things that have changed the most because they've been along there have been necrons for as long as they've been 40k mm. but they used to be chaos androids then they became yeah these kind of like um sort of uh sort of unthinking automata in service to the Catan and now uh now they have a much different relationship with the Catan and and um a little bit of a, a sad case of nominative determinism in some ways. They were a race called the Necrontier. Um yeah. <laughs> now they're metal skeletons. Yeah. Who knew? Um but um but yeah and I lot liked a lot about the new fa- fiction and um I tend to I tend to I tend to be drawn towards like esoteric factions i think it comes from enjoying that kind of like cosmic horror generally mm. like the thing that appeals to me about zinch is that cosmic horror element and necrons have it as well from a slightly different angle like yeah um and so i like all of that stuff about them um and so i actually have like a not insubstantial amount of necrons waiting to be built and partly it was also because uh, when this happened i was deep in zangor mania <laughs> and i was like what is the opposite of this yeah, that i'm so. doing yeah um and so I am putting together an Ekron kill team first and they are designed to ultimately fit into an Ekron army. Like I want to do an Ekron army for 40k. Yeah. Um, 
like I'll end up with just a few weird little conversions in and among them. But actually, you know, Necrons kind of support that. Like you can have the odd sort of different looking Necron, even though they're they're all basically you know transplanted souls and minds within robot frames. Um, you can have some creative hmm. leeway. Um, so, but yes, yeah, so I've been working on this kill team, uh, which is the notion of a, uh, a, a little story beat from the book that I really liked, which is a punishment detail, a group of Necrons that have been sanctioned by their overlord for whatever <laughs> reason. And the sort of backstory I come up with for this is that, so the dynasty I'm doing for all of the Necrons is the Mephit dynasty, which, um, it's just cause I like the color scheme. It's that they are kind of like, they bind stars and build weapons of mass destruction out of stars. Oh, cool. So instead of the green gorse energy that almost all Necrons have, they have solar energy in their mm. weapons. They have glowing orange weapons rather than green. Um, but with green paneling on their armor, like camo green. And it just, there's something about that color scheme that I really nice. like. Yeah, yeah I really like, like it. it. Um, and so, um, and among their kind of details, one of them is that um, most um, most sort of Necron dynasties have a pharaoh, like a, a pharaoh, basically a space pharaoh, a leader. Mm. Um, but the Mephit are different because their pharaoh, their pharaoh was destroyed by the Eldar while it was still asleep, which is rude. But that's something the Eldar have spent millions of years doing: is <laughs> yeah. finding Necrons and killing them before they can wake up again. Yeah. Um, and so they're currently leaderless. And there is a sort of uh, an official kind of pretender to the throne of the fair on in in the fiction but uh, i'd like my entire army to be based around the court of a different kind of pretender to the throne mm. kind of thing and so i like the idea of uh within that um a group of sort of necron immortals who are slightly more conscious than than their peers the necron warriors um that wake up but still follow the old pharaoh like they don't really agree that they're gone like yeah. you know they're sort of they refuse to go with this kind of you know court sort of drama but also go a bit wrong themselves and they form the core of a team that's basically been sanctioned and is now sent down to various conflicts around the galaxy to kind of do do the capricious aims of their necron overlord and so um i've done a, a like a leader who's got maybe like a, a little kind of it'll be like a kind of little superheated metal cape i think it's kind of a weird idea i don't know <laughs> see if it works i'll paint it a few different ways um and uh, I've given him a hat, basically. Um, <laughs> like Even Necrons can wear a control. <laughs> he can wear a hat. Well, all a flayed one is, is a Necron in a hat. <laughs> it's just the hat is someone else's skin. Okay. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Because, well, this is the thing. Um, there's, a, there's, there's precedent within the fiction for Necrons that go wrong to start collecting stuff. <laughs> it's a weird thing they do. Like, yeah. flayed ones are just Necrons that go a bit wrong and start collecting body parts. Like, trying to build new bodies on top of their metal bodies oh, and things. Like, yeah. it's, it's a horror thing. It's pretty it's, twisted. That's yeah. good. Um, and so he's he's a leader and he has the um he has the uh sort of the um the, a trait one of the kind of personality quirks where it's basically fleshy to courts like fundamentally believes himself to be still fighting mm. the old war you know wouldn't really believe that he's a, a necron um i did um and i've done probably the most substantial conversion um or the most substantial kit bash really is the comms guy who collects radios. I think I talked about this, but like yeah. I'm trying to express what, what the fuck does a Necron comms person look like? Mm. And cause you know, the technology is so 
strange uh, but I just like the fact that he collects radios <laughs> and there's a there's a, an ability deeper in the the comms specialist tree which is Vox Ghost which means that you can kind of screw with your opponent's oh, team cool. and I kind of like the idea that he goes through the pack and picks out whatever radio is most appropriate or skull or, yeah, or yeah. whatever is most appro- appropriate to the team that he's facing and then just honks into that basically Fantastic. like I'm a human <laughs> <laughs> on the radio to say boo um, yeah that sounds great so they're, they're coming along and I think I've managed to kind of differentiate them so uh, I've done, I did I used like the faceplate from a, a Canoptex Stalker which is like the kind of like snake beast mm. as a basically like sniper shield for cool. one of the death marks so it looks more because like, there's two death marks one of them's a scout one of them's a sniper it's kind of figuring out one of them's got like a sort of ocular shield on the on the sniper rifle and the other one's got a basically like a robot tentacle with a big eye on the end growing mm. out of his shoulder um and that's the scout that's built out of the tailbone of a necron immortal <laughs> cool. and another bit of something um no necron no a tryout praetorian actually and the idea with him is that he's not actually done anything wrong but he's <laughs> like the eye of the overlord so right. he has this other sort of eye on him basically that is there to kind of like relay information back to the mm. command and his job is probably to kill all the others if t- if they, they go more rogue them. but yeah it's kind of like that idea oh, cool. necron a team basically yeah nice they look awesome i like the dark metal as well yeah, yeah I, i'm used to them just seeing dry brushed really so it's cool to see them a little bit different yeah they are dry brushed but like mm. then but that's a little worse. bit of highlights and then yeah. you know um and the nice thing about painting them is obviously you spray the metal and then you block in the other colors mm. and then they're kind of done <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but also it means that like um you know edge highlighting becomes pretty important on the other things and mm. stuff so i've been practicing like uh, edge highlighting black which is just a skill that's worth having because it's not easy yeah. um, and making it look neat and, and that kind of thing so that's been fun and hopefully I'll have them done this week also basing with cork has been a good yeah, cool. thing to build up and, and worth it for kill team because these seven are going to be hmm. you know they're going to be it the base the basing scheme is actually like I tend to o- not overdo bases but like I worry too much about having lots of different colours hmm. and I've done it much simpler it is they're basically just grey but uh, I tried to match the tone and kind of dustiness of the future hellscape from the beginning of Terminator. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, which is, just feels very Necron to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is. Um, because, I mean, you know, what are Necrons if not some people in the late yeah. 80s going, can we have Terminators, Terminators in this? Army. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so that was... Uh, yeah, so that's, that's almost done now, and that'll be nice to, to finish up and start playing with. I have no idea how good they are in Kill Team, <laughs> but... Mm. They tend to be quite good, don't they, Necrons? Yeah, really they have an interesting ability, which is they're a little bit harder to kill, um, because um, in, in Kill Team, when you take a wound, if that, it, that would normally kill, remove a model in 40k, you roll a dice, and on a 4-up, they're dead, and on a 1-3, to three, they take a flesh wound instead. Uh, and then every time you, you know, every time you... Uh, take lethal damage after that you add the number of flesh wounds that you've taken to the roll oh, right. so the more flesh wounds you take mm. if you get lucky and manage to take three flesh wounds before taking any other kind of damage the next one will probably kill you mm. right that's the, the idea that's cumulative yeah whereas necrons if a if a damage roll is a six which would normally kill you they lose they gain all their health back lose all their flesh wounds and they're fine mm. So they have their nice. they, they have like a, a you know a two in one in three chance of dying rather than a one in one and one and two, basically, which is kind of... They've always been tough. They used to be absurdly tough, if I recall, in yeah. earlier editions. They're, they're still tough in 40k. They come yeah. back to life in 40k. Nice. Reanimation protocols. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I, maybe I have gotten them confused with Calculon. <laughs> um, but I don't know if that's a crime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that. <laughs> that's cool. Um, yeah, so that's exciting. 
trying to think. Um, painted a bunch of terrain um, really quickly. I discovered that um, mixing odd coat into your washes for terrain makes it go real nice. Mm. That's a that's a thing I did. Does it uh, make them glossy? No. Uh, well, so I, I found this from the um, Warhammer community. Uh, or no, sorry, the Warhammer World uh, sort of diorama painting team. There's a feature on like White Dwarf last year where they talk about painting loads of it quickly. Right. And their kind of like magic mix for terrain is like, I think it's 50%. I think it's it's a sort of three-way mix of um, Agrax Earth Shade, Seraphim Sepia, and Ard Coat. And I made myself a little pot of this in an old pot of um, Seraphim Sepia. Mm. Or it's like... Uh, I just remember exactly what proportions are. I'll look it up. Um, but um, it's a really good tone, actually, because it kind of goes over any color mm. and just weathers it, basically. Cool. It's it's the color of all buildings that you don't realize. Everything in the world is a little bit yellowy-brown yeah. because of the color of light, basically, and dust. And the color things tend to go when they get a bit old. Mm. So I did my Azurite Ruins super quickly by just base-coating them, essentially gray and blue and then soaking them in this stuff mm. and then dry brushing them and it was like Fantastic. done because it's like uh, you wouldn't recommend this it, like you were saying earlier I wouldn't recommend this for models where you worry about all the little details but with terrain you mm. just kind of want the effect and and I think the key for terrain for me and not worrying about doing it too quickly is like you do need to have at least three colours on it Yeah, for some reason two looks monotone and even though it's actually two duotone but mm. you know um, you get three colours and then wash it with whatever and it can be the same wash because it's just you know it's just the brightness and contrast photoshop <laughs> filter it's the instagram filter basically. yeah yeah i mean yeah. that well that wash is essentially just a kind of sepia um instagram filter that you yeah, just makes sense. gobble over your terrain and then it's like oh that looks good now <laughs> nice. then, then dry brush it an off beige color probably a bone or or uh, powder witch flesh because mm. the the magic gw paints where it's just like a little winky beige and suddenly it's like wow that's the best thing i've ever seen see all the detail yeah exactly mm. um nice. and yeah really nice and easy so that was fun uh did a load of washes over white from a chaos spawn they're very much yeah different way of painting that's really cool uh chaos spawn real weird painted a curse lane talked about that in the interim episode almost broke me but he's done now <laughs> yeah it's uh, fine cast yeah uh, so would you ever paint another fine cast model i'm gonna do one a year <laughs> okay that's the limit yeah it's world. like well so i'm never gonna do a fine cast model that uh, resin forge world's fine i'll never do a fine cast model that has smooth armor mm. that isn't some kind of gribble man <laughs> if it's a kind of gribble man um uh, which is my favorite queen song um then uh that's fine but if if it is like I don't know like a Necron for example, mm. no, mm. no, <laughs> too much filing, no, too much filing. Because if if you ever want it to be smooth, it will never be. You know what I mean? It's mm. like you can't ever get it. It's like it's it's almost like tragically unattainable. The perfection you would like from fine cast. Yeah. It's like yeah. a trap from perfectionists. Thank goodness for plastic. Eh? Yeah. Yeah, like getting back to assembling plastic and painting plastic models is just like... Nice day. Holy shit. Like, particularly because even the Necrons were stressful because I was like doing little conversions and things. Mm. It's just not my strong suit. Like, I have to kind of accept that. Like, I, I'm I'm all right at playing, but I lose most of my games. I'm all right at painting, and I'm, well, I'm happy with my painting, but my converting, it's just not what... It's, I don't really enjoy it, mm. I've turned, it turns out. Yeah. And I'm not very good at it. So, so I might just not. <laughs> I guess only for six models, you get to... 
Uh, yeah, it's like you it's, stick it's worth it out. that. It's yeah. worth that effort. Well, isn't I, it? I think the thing I definitely find is like all models go through. Oh, this looks fucking rubbish. Yeah, definitely. with conversions. <laughs> welcome to that. <laughs> For a long, where it's just like this just looks. I've just I've just broken this. <laughs> and then there is a magic step with converting when you paint when you spray them. Yeah, and it's like. Oh, and then it looks like all of this, all of this shit I just piled onto an expensive model. Now looks like it was supposed to be there. Before it, I just, I just made a mess quietly in my <laughs> little desk, and then felt ashamed. Fantastic. That's exciting, though. I love the idea of skirmish games where you, you put loads of effort into just a few individuals and sort of naming them. I've always loved that. And then they die. And then they die. <laughs> and you're right songs for them <laughs> yeah that's well the, that's the good thing step. about yeah that's a good thing about the necrons is they can come back mm. i don't know where they'll find like he has to find new bag of radios before every <laughs> every session but mm. that's fine yeah so yeah it's been a, like a, a quiet month for both of us mm. or a month and a half two months you might say um but we are back on the horse now so actually that's a question before we move on to the battle report do you feel the momentum coming back uh, not yet because I haven't had a chance to sit down and get painting again and kind of unfold all my painting stuff and reset up my paint station and uh, off on holiday for a few weeks so it's going to be a while before I get back but I'm really keen to get back to it and then presumably momentum will inevitably follow yeah also you're allowed to take a break because it's exactly. not your job yeah that's very true and even you're allowed to take breaks from your job it turns out <laughs> yeah. so yeah that's what I did but we nonetheless have at least started playing again mm. so that's uh, a thing uh, so now let's seamlessly transition to the battle report that we actually recorded yesterday. <laughs> We've just played a, a big, long game of Warhammer Age of Sigma. It felt like I had to relearn the game from scratch, Chris. Yeah, because I, I imagine we're doing that thing again, li- listener, so you know, where we record this bit first and then record the rest of the podcast so that we can record the battle report while we still know what happened. Yeah. Uh, but that does mean that we probably already have said that we've both been away from, from Warhammer and adjacent things for a little while. Mm. Uh, and coming back to it, yeah, forgot how it do in quite a substantial way. <laughs> Many rules missed, occasionally entire phases. <laughs> Not quite, but I think it's like large things that, uh, yeah, I mean, but it, I think we did a good job of sort of rowing back and helping each other just sort of figure it uh, out, figure it out and like, letting each other's armies do what they're supposed to do, really. Which yeah. I think it's in the spirit of the game. Yes. And, and also like, despite that, like, I, I thought this was one of the A, most interesting and B, uh, most sort of, and B, and maybe even get to C, B, most sort of like cinematic in some ways, like I had some mm. pretty cool moments, and C, kind of one of the, uh, most sort of, uh, entertaining games that we've had, I think, you know, in terms I, of. I think it was for, like, I felt like the armies were super well balanced. Yeah. Against each other. And we've talked in the past about the, the sort of, uh, the specifics of the Stormcast Siege matchup and the sort of, problems that can create in terms of pacing and in terms of how both armies are using systems that don't necessarily interact with one another very mm. often um, whereas the the armies we both brought today were quite infantry heavy lots of just troops on the table running around doing fights and that you know there's lots of magic as well lots of stuff going on but i felt like it was just a very balanced yeah of, balanced um game and it was one of those scenarios where you know it was it was a game all the way through to the very end of the mm. game it was yeah um which uh, even though i while still having moments where big power swings from one side to the other. Mm. Whereas I think um, the games that can be less entertaining are the ones where a sort of early advantage just slowly snowballs for one side. Sure. And it, it doesn't turn. Whereas this one really did feel like it had yeah, and moments. I, I thought it was, um, especially because uh, single objective scenarios in Age of Sigmar can be lead to quite bad games. Mm. Uh, and this, uh, so we used a, we played a scenario from the malign source. We played Eye of the Storm. That's right. So, um, you know, uh, one, one 
army channels the ritual and it's the other one's job to get into the center and by the end of the game have a certain number of units in there to try and win or draw or lose yeah so the the fictional setup here is that we're following on directly from the previous game we played the first game in our new kind of age of sigma second edition campaign where so um, i like the idea that winning and losing in these scenarios isn't so much like you get a big bonus in the next one if you won so much as it just affects what you're doing in the next scenario so we played Eye of the Storm, which is a, a malign important scenario where, yeah, as Tom says, uh, one team is, is channeling a spell and the other has to kind of, which occupies a 24 inch sort of diameter circle mm. in the middle of the board. And the other, uh, player has to just be in that circle at the end of the game. It's really no more complicated than that. Yeah. There's no kind of who has more units or anything like that. It's just be in this massive circle. Mm. Um, but you also get to deploy the, the kind of invader, the attacker gets to deploy at both ends of the table as well, which is kind of interesting. So you're sort of sandwiched in the middle of the board. Absolutely. The sort of the, the, the fictional kind of, uh, point here is that having claimed a very special orb by winning the first game, mm. this is sort of granted the, the power necessary for my gaunt summoner and his uh, allies of which someone knew, um, to, uh, sort of re summon uh, the silver tower back into, uh, this, this sort of the, the warp flame peaks, this part of the realm of metal where our campaign previously took place. Mm. And this particular ritual is taking place in the ruins of Fort Tantris, a sort of watchtower fortress built by your storm host in the aftermath of our previous campaign, yeah. many hundreds of years ago at this point mm. to kind of watch over the kind of blasted magic ridden wasteland left in that campaign's wake. Absolutely. Uh, not good things have happened to Fort Tantris. <laughs> it's fallen apart a little bit. Yeah. In part, thanks to my new general, who is a Cursling, the model I, I spent a, a month sort of laboring over, um, who is both of, uh, the agents of the Order of Azir sent to guard and, and maintain Fort Tantris, who have now, well, something's gone terribly wrong, Tom, and they've been fused into one body <laughs> and now serve a much better master, Zinch as a kind of fused, occasionally useless, magic-flinging uh, Siamese wizard beast. Mm. I like the idea that uh, after our first campaign, uh, the Fort Tantris, Tantris was, was built, uh, and that's the point where the Castellans kind of took over, because that's mm. what Castellans are for, and the Stormcast Army, they're, they're there to maintain these fortresses. But bit by bit, with like the Necroquake uh, and so on, the, the, a lot of the defensive forces have been moved to other parts of the realms by Sigma and Zinch took its opportunity and Zinch just didn't go, never left this realm, never left this particular mm. part of, of the, of the realm. And yeah, it's just it's seeping back in. And now they're trying to uh, perform the coup de grace, which is to summon the silver tower and then maybe tear a rip in reality and bring through the demon forces. Indeed. The demon forces who were kind of there last time, but never mind. <laughs> um, there's always some demons. That's the way it works. Yes. Um, yeah. And so the other new character is my magister that I painted, um, chaos spawn summoning wizard dude, mm. um, who is a, the, I refer to him as the postulant. So mm. a, a sort of, um, a sort of a student of, um, my Chaos Sorcerer Lord, now your Castellan. Hmm. Uh, but of his, you know, he likes his first album. <laughs> <laughs> He's not big on the second album. Um, I love it. He looks so cretinous. Yeah. You know, there's something about his, his kind of hunched pose and the, there's something sneaky about him. It's, it's a great model. It's awesome. Yeah. So as a kind of lieutenant with the Gaunt Summoner and the, uh, hmm. and the Cursling, uh, but a, a, a pretty potent wizard in his own right, as we'll find out. Hmm. Um, and so, and yeah, so my forces were kind of built out of that with a block of 30s Angor, because why not? 
uh, we were playing 1500 points matched play pretty mm. much. Um, but with, uh, very different forces. Do you want to talk through who the Stormcast sent to challenge this ritual? Yeah, sure. So I, I decided to go for quite an infantry heavy army, knowing that numbers and units were going to matter. Um, so I had a big old unit of sequiturs, which are the new sacrosanct mm. chamber infantry who are absolutely, I love everything about them from the models, from, you know, the, the way you can paint them all the way down to their rules, which are excellent. They're just a, really solid and robust battle line unit and they are just they just get a lot more done than the than liberators ever did before mm. uh, so it's it's nice because liberators kind of uh were always just worse than judicators in many respects you'd just take judicators instead of liberators so you'd always take the archers over the the stoic warriors uh which is always kind of a shame because li- the liberators are supposed to be the they're essential to that fantasy, cool right? fantasy yeah. the, the stormcast right and you you just saw them less and less and less uh, but now the, this new battle line unit is absolutely like really potent, and it's just great to have some foot infantry, melee foot infantry, running around doing stuff. And uh, yeah, that, that's just for me the essence of a, one of the things I find really fun about war games is just moving units around and bashing them into each other. Mm. Um, so yes, they were, uh, took a unit of nine of them, and the reason why I took nine and not ten uh, is because you get bizarre numbers of sequiturs in the core box, mm-hmm. and it's very hard to actually make up an optimal unit without spending a lot of money, which feels perhaps intentional. <laughs> I suspect with that, like I think I may have said this in in, in our uh, role models Discord a while ago, but like I suspect that the contents of that box and the layout of those sprues were decided a long time before the rules for those units were established. Yeah, that makes complete sense, particularly because the leaflet that comes inside the the box has everything pointed completely differently and all of the units are uh you take you know uh the new crossbow people in threes according to the leaflet the kind of rules leaflet that comes with the core set and that's i think you take them in sixes or something like all the numbers are different to how they're pointed now and how they're balanced so it, it does feel like there's that uh, the, yeah <laughs> the whole sacrosanct chamber got redesigned at some point between the inception of the core box and the current release. It's a bit of an aside, but I wonder if they know how many people buy like a Warhammer starter set and never buy anything else. Mm. And that part of it is just like, we'll build a board game out of what's in these boxes yes, yeah. and then everything else. If you choose to expand them out and play, you know, AOS more broadly, then good for you, but we don't build it for you necessarily. I wonder if that's a fact. Yeah, it's a good point actually, because you, surely you want the people who have maybe split a box or, you know, they mm. invite their friends over, just have a good game with what's in the box alone, isolated from the rest of the sort of the meta and everything else. You want that box to provide a good, a good contest. And even though I loved the Warhammer 40,000 re-release, I think the, the actual in, in rules terms and the type of games that evolved from the forces that were in the box, you ended up with quite poor games. So because of the, the primaries are there to stand and shoot and the, um, death guard are there just to slowly march forward and, Resist being shot, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, you only get some very limited games out of that type of setup with mm. the, the models included. Um, so I do think actually the uh, AOS two point box probably does give a more interesting game, just because Night Haunts is fast and interesting, and uh, the Stormcast included has some magic and stuff. So there's a lot of kind of counterplay there. Uh, but yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just about delivering a self-contained game mm. in a box. Anyway, an auspicious but, number yes, of yeah. sequences. Yep. Uh, Good. I'll get to the end of my army list eventually. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so secretaries, uh, two units of judicators, always take two units of judicators, they're brilliant. Uh, they're my archers, and what else do I have? I had, uh, my general was a Lord Aquila, 
And that was basically so I could take two units of Vanguard Hunters, who I still can't quite figure out how to use. Um, yeah. And they always seem like such an interesting unit. They could do a lot of different things, but none of them terribly well. Uh, but I, I just, I also, I just love the models as well. So yeah, always, they're great. I always run them. I thought it was a really nice looking army because of the mm. sort of balance of just interesting kind of profiles and shapes just like a really cool kind of diverse set of stormcast yeah and it was um formulators as well formulators as well of course and uh also had dr dutes is back yeah uh, heraldor was there and to lend moral support yeah. <laughs> and occasionally to honk the shit out of a piece of just to honk bricks into sangor's faces uh, yes i think that's it yeah i think it is it um so yeah so uh, well so my full army was uh to to clarify the uh magister gaunt summoner cursling uh Block of thirty Zangor and two two units of twenty, uh, sorry, two units of ten pink horrors, mm. and uh, the and then in terms of endless spells, the Bellwind Vortex, the Geminids, the Pendulum, and the Shackles. Yeah, of which I didn't use the Shackles, but I used everything else. Yeah, which I thought was awesome because we actually had a, a game where we saw a lot of endless spells and they actually mattered. Yeah, and, and yeah, and that's partly because one of the conceits of the scenario is that while I'm inside that central channeling zone, I get plus two to cast endless spells, mm-hmm. which is quite a big deal. Um, so that was, uh, you know, encouraged the use of them, but also they played an important role in the game and they were, I think a big factor in the game feeling like feeling as entertaining as it was yeah. and that magic was put as participatory as it was. Yeah. And it really makes a huge difference being able to see the magic on the tabletop. Like I love that, uh, I understand why spells have to be dice rolls often, but it's so great just to see a giant, big, stupid scythe. Yeah. <laughs> well, the same is true of like, you know, my Magister's spell, which is just D3 Mortal Wounds, but because it creates a Chaos Spawn, it has sort of a bit, again, it's almost yeah. like, not that there's a spell effect model, but you get, you know, it gives you a very visceral sense of what happened. <laughs> yeah. I, I love spells that change the board state. Yeah. And the problem with like just a lot of direct Mortal Wound spells, and I don't mind them really. Uh, but they, like, they don't change the world's state beyond just damaging a thing. Well, if only to, to mark an a, a year and a half of me complaining about the Duke Man. One of the, my weaknesses, I think, of the Duke Man is that, like, the fantasy is he blows a building up and yeah. everyone gets hurt. But the reality is you don't remove the terrain piece. Right. And if you remove the terrain piece, I'd be like, oh, all right, because it becomes a one-off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with other kind of strategic ramifications. Maybe we should, um, we could house draw that though. I, yeah. I think that's a good change. Yeah. Because I, th- I, I agree. The image that creates is, is really cool as well. Because it, as it is, it turns any given terrain piece into a kind of like a damage amp, ex- amp. Right. <laughs> endlessly like- exploding wood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is bizarre. I agree. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was really good, really good mix of magic and shooting and combat mm. in this game. And, uh, it felt like a really good game of Warhammer. Yeah. So, uh, to start with the start, of the start, uh, we had, we actually did have some great terrain rolls talking about terrain. Mm. Like, so I, we had like basically, f- uh, five pointed, you know, five points, one in the center, four in the corners and the terrain didn't end up being a huge factor, but we had like a, you know, just on dice rolls, like a damned chaos ruin and some ins- inspiring henges. <laughs> but the a really crucial one for me is the sort of the dais in the center of the board that I was sort of establishing as the, the channeling spot, mm. uh, got arcane just on a roll, which means it was plus one to cast, Yeah, which means that I was basically spending most of the game sat on plus one to cast, which is very, very nice for me. Mm. And also totally fitting though. Yeah, like, it felt really right. It was like font, yeah. big font of magic kind of thing. And imagine if that had been mystical or something that would potentially deadly. Hurt. Yeah, <laughs> deadly, right? And and you'd have to just stand near it all the time. And yeah, we keep dying. falling in this hole. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was perfect, and it was it's it's totally like fit into the the story we'd built around mm. this scenario as well. So um, 
in a rare so my uh, my destiny role wasn't too much to write home about apart from the fact i didn't have any ones me not having any ones yeah. is sort of momentarily important that's a big deal as you know anyone's just listened to the pod before knows bringing back uh you know pink horrors when they roll battleshock if they roll a one they get to bring back is it d6 chris uh d6 yeah yeah and so you can guarantee that with um your destiny dice and uh, knowing that you didn't have ones changed how i played the game which is the interesting part of the the counterplay that, that exists yeah. between our factions well it's like that's that's often my you know i i remember being quite surprised when i went to one of the bigger tournaments i've been to and, and hearing people say that like you know destiny dice was a mechanic that ruined the game mm. uh, because it's completely broken and i don't really get that about it because one it's very random but also it's transparent to both players what dice rolls are available yeah if that makes sense it's i like, think it, uh, maybe that attitude comes from the fact that when they were in initially implemented they could be used for damage rolls and stuff like mortal wound rolls yeah. they can be used for damage rolls but not yeah for mortal not wound mortal wound. yeah so uh, there were there were a lot of kind of exploits that were felt yeah. very bad i i wonder time. if it's simpler than that hmm. i wonder if it's simply that like people maybe don't process what goes into a, creating a dice result until the dice result is in front of them right i see this in a lot of games you see this in x-wing all the time yeah like if someone has in X-Wing, if someone has every token in the world and all the defensive actions in the world and then survives, it's like, oh my God, your dice are insane. It's like, well, a lot built up to this point. And the same is true of Destiny Dice. If you save a crucial character by using all of your Destiny sixes at once, that might feel bullshit to your opponent, but you've been spending the entire game not using those sixes and then you'll spend the rest of the game not using those sixes. So it's, it's (laughs) it's an interesting bit of um, sort of game psychology, isn't it? It feels more, it feels like cheating when you roll those dice 90 minutes ago. (laughs) Exactly. Which is, which is almost why the mechanic is perfect (laughs) because it is like, I, you know, like I always had this, you know what I mean? It's very Zinchy. Like it's, I really like it. Uh, But uh, I think as an opponent and obviously played Zinch often, um, I, you work around it, right? Like you, Mm. you, you know what they've got and what they can do with it maybe it feels bad if you don't know what they can do with it very well and um but still yeah I, i'm just fine with it anyway it's fine. so this is a rare example of a game where i um got to i finished deploying first because now that everything i Big have is so expensive locker zangor as well that always helps <laughs> trying to fit them in a 24 inch <laughs> <laughs> yeah there was it, like i suppose there's not much to say about deployment other than i had a bit of a sort of game of like wanting to put the zangor on the same side as the fulminators but you could just keep putting things in space or in pursuit yeah that's the nice thing about stormcast actually yeah you do there's only so much you can put in space like for everything you put in space you have to put something down yeah but having hunters who can go into, in, into pursuit isn't the same i don't think um, no i don't think it is uh so yeah I, I was able to you can sort of hold off on putting anything down onto the table and watch what your opponent's doing um i basically um decided to put each of my units adjudicates on opposite side of the board. So if one side got crushed, there would still be shooting happening. Yeah. And just ambient shooting, which is what you just needed to be constantly trying to put, put mm-hmm. out shooting damage. Um, and that was kind of the, the core I built off. I put the two units of Vanguard hunters in pursuit and I put my general in, uh, space and they like as a kind of Vanguard strike force mm-hmm. that could lurk. And or, or do what your Vanguard always do, which is show up really late. <laughs> like, We're here, everyone. It's like, it's already like, you know, I mean, they get a good mileage in there, kind of like, the cavalry is here, everybody. Mm. But sometimes, do you not think the rest of your army might like the cavalry to be there at the beginning? <laughs> and the general, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. like the, I mean, I don't think there's a rule that says the general has to be on the table. I don't think so. No, I mean, it's, it's fine rules wise. Yeah, just, yeah. I was just, it's just an odd image, isn't it? Like, 
I guess everyone's got their orders before yeah. they, they go down. I felt very much for, obviously, because as you set up, yeah, judicators on each side, mm. but then everything else, all your secretaries and the fulminators and the heralder ended up on the other side. So yeah. it was just, it was just five judicators <laughs> by themselves on one side of the board. Uh, you yeah, got the wrong memo. Opposite of the, um, the, uh, Zangor. Zangor as well. Uh, so once you put the pink horrors down, simply because of the limitations of the bubble that you were deploying into, I obviously knew that you couldn't put Zangor on that side. They'd have to go onto the other side. So I tried to load everything up against the pink horrors and force the Zangor to maneuver into yeah. a good position. Uh, yeah, which is smart. And that's, yeah. And it looked awesome. I've got to say, like, having like loads of zinch just in a bubble like that and all the, all the vibrant colors and the fact that the Zangor is beautiful blue and the pink horrors are, you know, obviously pink, but it was just, it was such a nice, it looked yeah. amazing. It looked yeah. Awesome. It was a good looking game. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had a bit of a sort of interesting decision to make because obviously if I take the first turn, I give you potential double turn, but if I give you the first turn, then I figured I was going to take a bunch of, basically unmitigated judicator shooting yep. and you could have even brought in the vanguard straight away and yeah. gone for the sh- that shooting yep. and I, my biggest fear was losing my kind of squishy wizard heroes like almost straight away despite the benefit of the new lookout sir rule that gives mm. you minus one to hit it's i've got a lot of five ruined heroes behind five and six up saves like yeah. it's not they're vulnerable like, yeah they're very vulnerable so i i took the first turn i i you know, need to kind of like get the magic going basically <laughs> yeah um, just get the magic get started. The magic. Party magic. Zinch party magic. Mm. Uh, my first album available now. Um, and, uh, there's, there was some sort of like, I got such a huge, like, um, like such a huge, uh, benefit to casting from the arcane terrain and the mm. plus two for ender spells that it really was like just a big old party of, of stuff. So got summoner up on the bellwind to extend range. I uh, get extra spells. Um, and then, uh, incredibly, I managed to roll double ones twice for yeah. both of the pink horror casting attempts as the pink horrors just start out cold. <laughs> um, but one of them, uh, was used to fling the ether void pendulum, which is the sort of space scythe that can only move in one direction <laughs> and point it at the unit of judicators that were on their own. Because it meant that those ju- those judicators, you, the, it basically was giving you a choice. Those judicators are either going to take D6 mortal wounds at least once, mm. or they're not going to be able to move towards me and shoot me. Yeah. And that was like a really fun end of spell. Like we've had, we've had the conversation about magic so many times, but that was a moment where I cast a spell and it was funny for both yeah, of us. Cause those guys fantastic. are just looking at this. <laughs> it's like, how brave are we boys? <laughs> I love that so much. And I, I, the model for that spell is just beautiful yeah. as well. Like, and I think I'd painted it in the time between the last. Yeah. Session it, as well. it looked awesome. It just looked so awesome. But also it's just very, very funny. The fact that they were on their own and opposite the Zangor, which is obviously the big sort of sledgehammer you've got in your army. And then on top of that, out of nowhere, a fucking space scythe yeah. comes right at them. Movement wise, I, I basically like, I knew that the Zangle had to engage on the other side of the board. Yeah. Like those judicators are annoying, but they're going to take at least D6 damage and then more as I have a plan yeah. for that side of the board. So, um, I started to run and a you know, big benefit of the Zangle is they can run and charge. Mm. So they're basically always running and moving them takes a while because there's 30 of them, but like with command points and things, I was yeah. confident I could get across the board. So I started the, the process of moving them around basically left everything else where it was mm. because although I did move the, the curse thing to try and make sure I was in range to kind of bounce spells back at your wizard. If she did choose to yeah, actually I forgot to mention, I did take a night in Oh yeah. Well. We've got, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also I should mention, 
even though it's not really going to affect the battle report at all, cursed things can steal spells. Mm. This is not going to happen in this game. Spoilers. Despite really, <laughs> Alas, really, really it. wanting it to. Yeah. But that's partly because you never successfully cast a spell. No. So the, one of the um, other points about this scenario is that wizards outside of the central bubble are minus one to cast. And uh, the spell that uh, the Incantor was constantly trying to cast was already quite difficult. So, and, and Zinch is there to unbind it anyway. So, uh, yeah, not not a huge amount of spells coming out of the Stormcast Army, as you'd expect, finding Zinch really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then we come over to to your first turn, Tom. Mm. And and uh, just to, to remind you, this was the turn that you kind of moved everything forward, um, and it was a lot of Judicator shooting at the, the yeah the uh, giant glaring target that is the evil zinch wizard on a massive pillar of swirling yeah like energy. i said this as we were deploying but when i deploy it's it's, it's bad strategically but i have this diorama creation instinct mm. so i've set up the vortex on the dais because it felt right yeah right and i like the idea that almost it's not nothing in the rules of the scenario that state this but being on the vortex felt like it was the thing that was making the ritual happen yeah like this is the center of it yeah like it's actually reaching up to the tower and drawing <laughs> it down from the sky yeah it looked incredible and also he was, he had to go up on the vortex somewhere just to get, you know. He always does. To do, do what he does. <laughs> yeah. That's what he does. And it, it doesn't matter if you did that, you know, 12 inches the other direction. It, it would have been the same. You'd still be in range for all the shooting. So yeah, you were pretty much just yeah. doomed to be shot. And can we just say as well that like the, the new vortex rules are so much yeah. player friendlier so than the old ones. It's been nerfed substantially, but it just feels, it feels like a solid option that yep. has its roles and it has its downsides and it's no longer this weird kind of set of exceptions that it used to be. Good yeah, job. The, the, it was such a bizarre thing before because you couldn't hit it. <laughs> yeah. So the idea that you couldn't go in and just melee, be in melee combat is just cutting out uh, your, your entire section of the game. Yeah. But, but yeah, the new rules are excellent for it. I think it's well-pointed as well. I think it's still useful and it gives you the ex- extra spell, right? Uh, uh, it gives you one extra spell and gives you an extra six-inch range on yeah. all your spells. So I've got something that's pretty good. It's yeah. like you end up with you know, um, decent range and three spells per turn. It's good, but it's not the kind of crazy yeah. horde destroying mega thing it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, I'm so glad that that's happened because the model is amazing in the way that the, the idea of putting, you know, your wizard on this model and it just looks fantastic. It yeah. always looks awesome. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, so I shot, you shot at it. I shot it. <laughs> I, shot, I shot that thing. Uh, and they did quite well. You, you're always relying on the adjudicator primes to do all the work. Really. Well, that was the thing. Adjudicator prime did all the work, yeah. which is a running theme, right? And, and it was adjudicator prime that was facing down the scythe. Uh, and the Zangor. You marched and you chose, you chose Scythe over not Scythe. Yeah. So, um, what I did with that side of the board, these poor isolated adjudicators, I just moved them ex- straight forward towards, uh, the endless spell that was hurting towards them. And I, I just basically decided I'm going to take D6 mortal wound because it's the prime that does the damage and it'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, that prime did do the damage and there's a kind of, sort of heroism to that the fact that like they stoically walk, strode forward well that was the thing so the 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 judicators that were in no danger <laughs> completely terrible. failed to yeah. do anything yeah. and um because because of the lookout sir rule that does still apply when you're up on the vortex so it was minus one to hit and they just whiffed everything yeah and i like the fact that for, at that range because the well, someone at this point is waving around on top of a tornado lookout <laughs> sir has to literally be shouting look out as he dodges <laughs> all these arrows from one side duck and then all of your normal dudes on the other side missed. Mm. And then basically just, well, no, they didn't. What happened was I basically mm. used a big load of my destiny dice to survive. That's true. And then that ended up being a good gambit 
just about because the judicator prime managed to get my got someone to one wound yeah yeah if you hadn't have used those destiny dice to i think there were two crucial saves that you deployed fives or sixes to to negate and if you hadn't have done that he would have been off in the first turn which is always the risk for zinch that until you start you know locking up that shooting uh those heroes go down real fast yeah yeah yes um so but Obviously, him surviving any further than that was a bit reliant on the turn roll, which mm. came next. Mm. And you did get the double turn. I did. I rolled my gigant. <laughs> I've got I've got a massive wooden dice now die uh, that I roll for priority rolls. Um, it's in almost it's huge. Yeah, it's it felt a little bit intimidating to me. <laughs> thumps onto the table. <laughs> Clunk. <laughs> got it. Yeah. So I got the um, double turn and the the trouble with running um, a foot infantry army is that they're always a bit sluggish and mm. then, so there are ways in stormcast to teleport them around using spells and things but i didn't have that ability in my army so the, everyone was just marching forward my sequiturs ran uh my formulators uh charged up towards the pink horrors they kind of mm. swapped flank actually like they were eventually going to go like down the bottom and they uh they ended up like going, turning around and you basically played ring a ring a rosy with the angle yeah it's like whichever exactly. way around the circle the angle went you went the other way yeah because if i just run uh the formulators into some into the block of 30s angle they just get chewed up and yeah yeah uh but also if you does that if you just run into other stuff in the middle of like a, a bubble of zinch you just get chewed up eventually but they did some damage like they were able to get up there yeah so you wiped out um so there's a kind of crucial um sort of series of this turn was the turn that you, so, um, the Gaunt Summoner died to mm. shooting for yeah. one thing. The, um, a big doot, um, killed an, a Zangle, mm. which was important. And, and I think because the Gaunt Summoner died to the first unit adjudicators, you're able to put the others into the Zangle and get some kills. Yeah. Um, crucially, you weren't able to get four kills, which is enough to remove an attack from yeah, the it was entire close. unit. It was one off, wasn't it? Yeah, you were one off. And that was on Battleshock at the end of the turn yeah. as well. So yeah. that's, um, and then the fulminators went into the, one of the units of pink horrors mm. and um, I used the destiny dice to save the banner. Yeah. But then because I had no destiny ones, um, the entire unit was destroyed on battle shock. Yeah. So the fulminators, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's what 220 points of fulminators, but they are wiping out um, a whole unit of pink horrors just yeah. on the charge basically. And also just um, there's a great value of just getting that unit into the circle and yeah. just being a thing that has to be dealt with and has to be a distraction. Yeah, you, just, yeah. you can't just leave them alone. Uh, so uh, they, I didn't mind that they were exposed and that they were overstretched, but it was just making you have to deal with them and not come out and perhaps batter everything else in my army. Yeah, yeah. Immediately. It's an interesting one because, like, I, I, you know, I I saw the obviously the Gauntlet Summoner goes, kind of have loads of units. It's like losing a hero like that is a big deal. Yeah. And it was a bit scary. And then this sort of translated into sort of, um, oh, also, because uh, you took the double turn, I got to move the first endless spell. Mm. There's only one endless spell, which meant that that um, Ether Void Pendulum went straight into the Judicators and did five mortal wounds, which was pleasingly not anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. So two of them were just horribly butchered. <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was like the two that were just standing next to the Judicator Prime that, would, he... that had just taken the killing bl- shot on the, uh, the God Summoner. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, in my mind's eye, it's just like he's taking aim, taking aim, and this enormous, vast, terrifying uh, magic scythe is just coming towards him. <laughs> but he's, his aim stays true, and, you know, he, he manages to get the shot off shot off just as his two friends next to him just are obliterated in a 
this all bloody mess by this horrible endless spell that just keeps on going and going <laughs> off into the distance forever <laughs> because that's how endless spells work in Warhammer to live it's to live a different life or to be resummoned later in this game indeed um the um yes so then um I got my second turn and I was sort of having that feeling of like ooh this is going south a little bit because I am still very afraid of the formulators because we had a good year of bit me having good reason to be very afraid of the formulators they're, they're pretty great um so I had a bit of sort of adjustment to do. And then um, I start my second turn. I had an absolutely disastrous magic phase. Yeah. So I wanted to throw out the Geminids because they've, they've changed the Geminids in a cool way. So this is the light and dark orbs and they deep, they each have a different debuff and they each do D3 mortal wounds. And the FAQ states that if they both hit the same target, they don't do anything, mm. which has become really interesting. I mean, yeah. so you have to kind of, but they can't go f- away from a certain distance from each other. So you have to kind of find the right spot for them. Yeah. And what I wanted to do was throw them out and put the minus one attack one into the fulminators and then the minus one to hit one into the sequiturs. Yeah. And so, uh, but you used your once per game unbind to stop that from happening. Yeah. The nice thing in Cantor has the ability to once in a game just delete a spell basically yeah if, if, if she's within 30 inches and that was a good choice yeah that would have been better and then um after that um every other spell i wanted to cast i either failed or you unbound yeah which was like like but super cinematic because the god summon dies the veil wind goes down mm. and suddenly magic just stops working yeah which normally for me in a game like this is a complete death sentence like mm. it's like this is what i've got i've got this and weirdos mm. uh but actually with the zangle because because the veil wind went down and its footprint vanished it meant like a spell movement phase getting some people out of the way and then get the zangle across the center of the circle and directly into the fulminators mm. Um, with that run and charge, they had so much space. Like, yeah. They have a twenty-four inch threat range, it so was they massive, can go a yeah. long way. And, and you, you could certainly guarantee it, like both with um, Destiny dice and with the command, command points. points. Yeah. Uh, you can really guarantee that threat range as well. It's really good, um, very strong. And so the um, the uh, I also uh, because you had wiped out an entire unit of pink horrors in the previous turn, we had mm. to. I, I missed my window for this a little bit, but we managed to kind of figure it out. Um, that meant I could summon two units of ten blue horrors which I then sent out towards this recently scythed unit of judicators. Yeah. That's one of the reasons, because um, the new summoning rule means that I can summon uh, within 12 inches of a hero and more than nine inches from enemy models, mm. which meant that it kind of made sense for me to leave one of my flanks open, because that's the one where I'm just going to fill with horrors Space, as yeah. the pinks die elsewhere, yeah, totally. like feed them to the other side, mm. rather than trying to fight both sides and ending up with a situation where I don't have any space. I really, I really like the new summoning rules. Um, facing both you playing Zinch and Jim playing Death. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the games have come down to like clutch summoning and just like really smart, you know, bringing up a unit suddenly nine inches away, but in a way that affects the game. Like that, that's really, really cool actually. And you know, both players know exactly what the parameters are because that nine inch bubble is so consistent across Age of Sigma. It's really, uh, it's really significant when a unit can drop closer than nine inches yeah and the the odds of uh, the odds of a nine inch charge are just just like it's a big gamble to do it when it happens it's great yeah yeah but, but you, you can't rely on it yeah yeah so i think it's just really nicely balanced it just feels really good yeah and aos is a game of chance a lot of the time anyway and that's a good mechanic yeah yeah so that was that was um like um yeah, so Blue Horrors to the other side to deal with those Judicators, mm. and then the Zangor into the Fulminators and just absolutely annihilated them. They did. I appreciate a big difference here is no Castellant, so no Castellant buff, which yeah. is traditionally a big thing, 
But like, even then, though, I think the weight of dice is, is a good. I thing. mean, you know, it took, so, so it's, is it two hundred and forty points for the formulators? I think they're two forty, right? Yeah. So you know, it is literally a four hundred eighty point unit versus a two hundred forty point unit. Yeah. So you're not expecting it to go to be anything other than one sided. Mm. But I was surprised by because obviously the the footprint of the models meant I couldn't get everything into base to base contact, but I positioned them so that the great weapons with render in front, and they mm. just ripped them to pieces. Like mm. it was, it was over very very quickly for the Fulminators. yeah the, the be able to stack up those attacks is really strong on them which is why you want 30 of them right because yeah. you get uh, is it for every nine you get an extra you get an, for every nine you get an extra attack mm. and the maximum unit size is 30 and you also get a discount if they are right yep. to 30 so yeah, yeah. it should be 540 points for 30 right it's 480 instead ah, you get a 60 yeah, point good. discount so it's just you know it is it is difficult to justify taking them in any other number Right. Absolutely. Because they just become so efficient at 30. Yeah, yeah. And I think at 30, they become a kind of, even though it's a horde unit, they become a kind of monster. They're, like, they're fantastic. equivalent to one of the bigger monsters in the game. Like, But they're, they're a lot more flexible because of that, um, that footprint. Uh, you, you can spread them out. You can engage multiple units. You can block off and control space in a way that monsters can't in the yeah. same way. So uh, it's an excellent unit. I think, uh, talking about this after the game, but I think they're just tough enough to justify to be one of probably the best units in the game perhaps like yeah because they're, they're, they've got two wounds each they've got like five two wounds each five up save and then the ones with shields are six up mortal yeah six up any uh, immortal like ignore save i guess that ablative is very very good as well because yeah how many you can take like 12 shields in that unit so well they could all be shields mm. so shields is a standard loadout gotcha. but there's a sort of um if this is interesting because i think it came up recently someone in the community create collecting zinch uh that's a very confusing war scroll because yeah. of the different weapon loadouts, the mutants, the great weapons, the leaders, the banners, and so on. Mm. Um, there is a sort of uh, a mathematical kind of way of figuring out the optimal build. And it is basically to have... Um, so two in five can be great weapons. One in five can be a mutant. And anything else can be a either a dual-wield man or a shield person. The optimal way of building Sangor is for every five have one mutant with dual weapons, two great weapons and two shields. This would be the best GCSE. Yeah. Uh, a unit of 30 Zangors leave Plymouth <laughs> at 8.30 AM. Traveling at 12 miles an hour. Will they kill fulminators coming from <laughs> Birmingham? Uh, the answer is yes, they will. And they, they did. Will. Uh, but yeah, so that means that in my unit of 30, I have 12 shields, 12 great weapons mm. and eight mutants. So uh, mutants get extra attacks, right? That's the mutants deadly. get no. So uh, mutants, yes, mutants get an extra attack, and dual wielding units get. This is like it really is a GCSE math problem <laughs> because dual wielding units get uh, plus one to hit. Hmm. Mutants get plus one to attack, but have to dual wield. Okay. But you could have normal dual wielding as well. So it's more like that riddle it's where it's like, like my monster. neighbor lives in a blue <laughs> yeah, exactly, house. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, but basically, yeah. So basically always do it um, so that mutants are always – take as many mutants as you can. They have to dual wield. But have them be your only dual wielders. Mm. Take as many great weapons as you can because great weapons are good. Yeah. And then anything that's left should be a shield. Um, and your special models – it doesn't hugely matter which one they are. But like um, I – converted my zangor so that my banner bearer is like the banner is mounted onto a spear so it's mm. a great weapon my uh leader the champion is holding a great weapon because that that model gets plus to hit which is really useful um and my uh, horn blower is a mutant because it made sense yeah so like yeah it's there is a way of doing it logically but anyway 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 the point is they really did mince those formats <laughs> they did they did a really good job 
Um, and then, um, after that, I got a double turn, which is a big deal. Yeah. And now I started to worry for the other reason I worry. <laughs> Initially, I was like, oh, I've lost. And then I was like, oh no, I've won. <laughs> it, I'm amazed. Like, uh, AOS is, is a five turn game. Yeah. And it so often is, like, it often really can change in the last couple of turns. And it's, it's only until I pl- played a bit more that I realized you've got to stick it out. You've got to stick it out. Yeah, you it. do. Like, cause I worried at this point that I had all these new toys, the curse thing, the magister, and I was like, well, I'm probably not going to use them. My Zangor are probably going to kill everything. <laughs> right. Cause if they can kill Fulminators, the scariest unit, mm. then what can't they kill? And we'll get to the answer to that. <laughs> um, so, uh, this turn, I managed to kind of like have, um, a uh a much bigger um magic turn in a lot of ways um did a thing that uh you know um incredibly uh you know you've never seen me do which is send up a different person on a bailwind vortex this, thanks it, to the under spell rules felt very wrong but it was super cinematic because basically great, so yeah. the magister the the little second in command hmm. dude uh, steps back onto this point where the god summoner dies and summons the bailwind himself and continues the ritual. Mm. And this gave him the range he needed to kind of start flinging out some more spells and, and doing some more stuff. Um, uh, getting stuff done. The blue horrors uh, managed to kill the, the, the unluckiest judicators in the world <laughs> in the shooting phase. Um, Alrighty. Uh, yep. And the Zangor went straight in, you know, this is a point where I got a really good run roll and then a really good charge. So the strength of the Zangor, as you say, is controlling space. Mm. From having to crowd around two Fulminators, I could then spread out down your entire flank and yeah. or down your entire line of battle. And with one unit of 30 Zangor, basically get into combat with the Judicators, sort of the Night Encounter, but she's on the back line, mm. and the Sequitors. Yeah. Um, com- completely annihilated the other unit of Judicators with just maybe six of the Zangor yeah. in base-to-base contact. It they just ripped no the pieces. It, 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 you hadn't even used half of your attacks that they could have used as well. Like they, they, they didn't, Oh no, actually no, they, they did. You need all their attacks because the last judicator was killed by beaks. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the last one was pecked to death. Four plus five plus no run. Yeah. It's like die, but they did. And then, so then I was like, well, you know, this is at this point, my mind is in the sort of like, well, like shit, I'm just rolling you with these kind of mega, mega, mega chickens. The mega birds. Yeah. These are the biggest, beefiest birds, mm. apart from the big beefy bird who was absent in this game. Mm. Um, and then, so, and then, but, and that was because I had reserved all of the great weapons of the Zequitors and the great weapons just annihilated the fulminators in mm. when it wasn't even close. Um, and so I roll and I get decent rolls, you know, loads of attacks, all the rest of it. And the Sequitors saved absolutely everything. So the thing with the Sequitors, they're the sacrosanct chamber. They've got magical capabilities, which is very neat for the Stormcast. At the start of a combat phase, you can choose to channel that magic in one of two directions. You can, help them to hit or you can uh give the ability to re-roll all of their saves they've got a four plus save default so four plus is re-rolling is just very strong mm. it's very strong and you had a little bit you had rend on those weapons but even then like it, it was that they, they are very tanky when they want to be and with their great weapons they can actually do uh, deal damage and kill stuff yeah they're just a really really formidable unit and it was so cool to kind of like hit a immovable object mm. with like with this angle like it sort of reminded me of sort of the reverse of how well maybe not even the scenario of hit but we've we've had games both ways where one of us has had a unit that just doesn't seem to be able to be stopped whether it's the retributors or the zango or mm. something like that that just wants to walk down the board and kill everything in its path yeah it's like a wave yeah and um and the zango just hit the the you know nine nine sequiturs we're talking about versus 
27 Zango. Yeah. Didn't move. Just tanked it. Yeah. They, um, yeah, they're, they're spectacular. There, there were some, I don't even feel as though it was like terribly lucky. There was some luck in, in the dice there, but that is what they do. Like, yeah, that, that save without. It, and it felt really cool as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I sort of knew they could do that because I've used them before against Chimp. I've seen what they can do. Um, and they, they are like, for me, they fit the Stormcast fantasy perfectly uh I, not just like in the way the models look and stuff but in the the kind of the fact that the shield wall the fact that you if they choose to they can just put their shields down and stay there for as long as as they can um and i yeah it was just really satisfying it was really fun and also you'd um it moved your zangor out of the bubble as well which is a big was a big part of the game for me was that if your zangor stayed in that bubble i didn't i didn't have faith in my damage output to get rid of it yeah i never thought i was going to be able to get rid of that block of 30s angle mm. because of so many wounds don't have the kind of big impactful monster thing that might go and crush them uh so yeah it was it, once they were out of the circle and secretors were kind of tanking them I, there was an opening there and i had all this stuff in space or an in pursuit that could come on at any moment yeah and that brings us to your next turn because the next turn is the moment the vanguard vanguard finally show up yeah finally the <laughs> everyone's general. getting slaughtered <laughs> everyone's getting slaughtered those poor george judicators have been shot up by a giant scythe and the, then yeah the encounter will him. die shortly to sangor yeah 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 <laughs> she gets ripped to pieces by birdman right yeah uh she she was amazing though like um the, I, I really rate the, the encounters as well like their uh auto and ability is invaluable and i think i probably have to take two <laughs> in an army so i'm gonna, gonna that's really it. scary for me yeah. if you have two auto unbinds at any point in the game at any range yeah it's like just, one of my just, turns isn't going to go perfectly because yeah. a lot of my spell casting is like and i'll oh, we'll get to it but like this then this cute combos like yeah, that's what's combos. fun about it for me is it's like mm. um you know whether that's bailwind or something else or a combo we'll get to in a minute but like there's always there's always you know, every almost every spell you ever have is better in a one-two punch with yeah. something else. Mm. So and that Bellwind, and then combining into the extended range, the improved casting ability, yeah, like that's a great like is each combo and anything you can do to disrupt that auto unbinds are just a, a massive problem. Uh, and yeah, it, it was telling that when the Encantor got pecked to death, um, my fortune started to change. Because suddenly all, all you, you were just free to combo and combo and yeah. combo. Because uh, you were in the middle of the board, you were on that arcane terrain, your endless spells, you had plus two to cast because of the scenario. And it was just, you, you, you were starting to guarantee, magic time. guarantee that stuff, yeah. right? And, and when Zinch starts to get that power and that, that momentum, it becomes terrifying. Like so much damage starts to come out. And a lot of the, the fun thing about Zinch is like, you've just got to shake, shake up the routine almost like Zinch is there like a machine yeah it's, it's gonna put out all these mortal wounds well it's like it, the thing I like about up. this thematically is Zinch is all about plans mm. like you yeah. know and, and Zinch will claim that everything is part of the plan <laughs> sure but like Zinch is all about like I'll do this and then this will happen and then this will happen and if you throw something into the middle of that that there's a spanner in the works mm. it's really devastating because mm. it's a it's a you know, it's, it's like it? the whole idea is almost that like you embrace randomness, but also you control it. Mm. Like that's the lie of Zinch. And that's yeah. why I like this completely embodied in the rules. It's completely embodied in destiny dice. Like, look how meticulous and unknowable fate is, except <laughs> I am cheating. <laughs> I happen to be, I happen to have the upper hand here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, having unbinds, having those wizards is absolutely essential. Uh, that was an interesting, it felt like a, 
an interesting point. When you bring on, I brought on my vanguard force, so I brought on my my general, uh, Lord Aquila, and flanked by two units of five vanguard hunters. And they, when they come on though, they can't move or charge. Yeah, well, obviously that would be horrendous if they could. But they sort of show up and then sort of flex. <laughs> so it's weird because we, they really don't. They all just sort of dabbed. At the they end do, of the yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just like, oh, we're here now. They just like strike a pose, and next turn they're going to do something. Uh, but it was interesting because like you were slightly out of position a little bit, yeah, because the Zangor were out of the circle. Uh, one of your units of pink horrors was gone. The blue horrors were again outside of the circle and had some traveling to do. And then the vanguard, uh, this vanguard unit w- had come in to try and rush into the middle in the final yeah. turns. And yeah, it was, I was wondering what you thought about. Uh, th- so I personally, uh, I was relieved that they all came down in one place because mm. it was going to be <laughs> easier to hit the microphone with a beer can if you're wondering what just happened. Um, uh, it's going to be easier to deal with them. Mm. I, I think in hindsight, I think you probably should have brought them on a turn earlier. Mm. Like, but that's sort of, I think we were both getting, uh, you know, a sense of what, um, I think now, I think if you played it again, knowing how much damage the Zangle can be expected to do, bringing them on a turn earlier to just make it less of a done deal that the Zangle are going to go straight into the sequiturs and the judicators would have given me a bigger decision to make. Yeah. Because at the time, the Zangle were kind of out of the game at that point, but they also killed so much stuff that it was, you know, fine. Yeah. Um, But it was also, you were right, like, it was also like, I have to stop this stuff from getting, to staying alive for the rest of the game. Mm. And the Zangle are probably no longer a concern because they're they're going to win against the sequiturs eventually. Yeah. But that's the rest of their game is fighting these sequiturs. So it's like, can everything else kill a Lord Aquila who has a four up mortal wound save relic hmm. um and uh two units of vanguard hunters and i thought i probably could yeah but it's cagey it's chancy isn't it it's very chancy it's, dicey, it's slightly yeah. dicey i think you're right though i think um the the risk you take when you hold stuff in space or in pursuit and then bring them on later is that uh the, the units are pointed around their sort of damage output and efficiency mm. at the time and every turn they're off the board and not rolling those dice you're sort of wasting their point value to an extent. Um, so yeah, just an extra turn of shooting dice on the Bellwind Vortex guy would be, might, yeah, might and have I th- done something. I think, I think you got a little unlucky on the, in the it, basically making that play at that time was, I think the riskier play in mm. some ways. And it relied on not dice totally, but it was like what happened for the rest of the game was to some extent going to come down to fate. Uh, and it happened to be that having had such cold magic phase earlier in the game in my, f- uh, so well, a couple of things happened. Uh, we rolled off for the turn mm. and we both rolled sixes. <laughs> yeah. And thanks to the new rule, because I went first the previous turn, I got to pick. Mm. So I went first. So to deny you a double turn, yeah. double turn, that would have been really big for you. Mm. Us both rolling sixes. Well, that's, that's nice, right? Yeah, sure. Um, and then I had a very good magic phase, mm. like, a, like not in the sort of Lord of Change kills everybody kind of school of magic, but like a lot of D3 spells that were doing three mortal wounds, mm. that kind of thing. But th- th- to me, like that type of magic phase felt kind of fairer and more just right than a lot of the kind of Lord of Change insano spells that are super swinging. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, it feels like loads of D3 mortal wound spells feels better than, like, one potentially 27 mortal wound mega spell. Even though I think there is space in the room for both. I think, honestly, I think the thing with Lords of Change, for example, is a monster of that scale 
you shouldn't have in a 2000 point anything less than 2000 points and even in 2000 points they can feel like they're weighting the scale a little bit mm. like you know there is a tendency and you see this all over competitive age of sigma to cram as many of those in to every scale of game as possible like yeah. next week i'm going to do a thousand point tournament um in fact you know it, it, oh you're away i think but like next sunday is is the the follow-up to the tournament we did at uh, big. Oh, big. Yeah. Oh, awesome. yeah. Um, and a lot of those lists revolve around like get the biggest monster my faction has and then add battle line. Yeah. And that I don't think is what the game's intended for. And at 1500 points, this feels right. Mm. I think, I think when you're talking about a 2000 plus point game, the odd me- mega spell is, is fine and probably adds a bit of, keeps the game moving probably because yeah. it just removes yeah. a unit every now and then. Sure. Anyway, at this scale, I think you're right. And so, um, but talking about one, two punches. So, um, the, the magister rapidly becoming the hero of this game. Yeah. On top, I used a command ability specific to this scenario to give him an extra spell. On top of the Bellwind Vortex, he sends forth the Geminids of Ulgu Haish. Mm. Um, one into the Vanguard Hunters, one of the units of Vanguard Hunters, and one is the Lord Aquila to reduce the amount of uh, attacks Lord Aquila would get. And also to, um, minus one to hit on the Vanguard Hunters. Yeah. Um, and also for a very specific reason, which is I wanted, uh, when you do D3 mortal wounds, there's a two thirds, two thirds chance that you're a two in three chance that you're going to do an odd number of mortal wounds. Mm. And this is really important because his other spell, the, um, bolt of change, if it kills something, uh, turns them into a chaos spawn and, it, but it's a D3 mortal wound spell. So against two wound stormcast, I need one of your guys to be on, Down on one, on one health. Yeah. Cause otherwise it's a, a, a two thirds. So it's, it's two, two thirds chances of guaranteeing it, but it's still like, mm. I really, really wanted that to happen because I didn't want to paint chaos spawn for nothing. So, yeah. um, but also because it creates a big problem for you in the back of the board, right? Sure. Like, um, the grumble man appear. Yeah. And, um, so that was the calculated thing with sending the D3 mortal wound spell first followed by the other d3 mortal wound spells to try and guarantee the kill yeah yeah uh, i get it's that combo right like yeah if i'd have had something to dispel or disrupt or anything that would have i think dispelling the chaos spawn thing would have been the important thing to do there but yeah, yeah. but i didn't yeah obviously didn't have the means yeah um so uh which happened yay Ray. one of the one of the uh vanguard very much turned into tentacles yeah. immediately it's pretty rad it was pretty rad i managed to dispel one of those earlier in the game oh you did yeah, yeah that uh, was earlier in the, yeah but again like what's that in con in cantor left the field uh, well that's a euphemistic way of putting it isn't it yeah she was she was ripped to pieces by, by birdmen <laughs> by birdmen uh yeah once that that dispel was gone suddenly these things start to matter yeah um and so yeah good turn for me all around because basically uh good mortal wounds got a chaos born out um charged um the cursling had basically not done anything all game apart from provide the plus one to wound buff to the zangor yeah he just ran around in circles quite a lot yeah and then he but he charged dr dutes who'd he taken did. some mortal wounds from another source um i just wanted because he's quite fighty the cursling i really wanted him to do some big fighting it's not a bad profile he's got a good, not a bad profile he's got seven attacks like it's, yeah, it's not terrible split across three weapons but, he's got three arms um, um and also you know devastated one of the units of vanguard hunters got some mortal wounds onto the aquila mm. You know, just feeling like, yeah, I can kill these dudes. And also, I'd banked enough fate points by this point through casting spells to summon a Herald of Zinch, yeah. which is another source of a D6 bottle wound spell in my mm. zone. Nice. All good stuff. Cursling charges at the Night Heralder, and I managed to dramatically whiff all seven attacks. 
He's he's got three arms, and every single one of them was just windmilling <laughs> what pointlessly. What's he doing? <laughs> I don't know. You're fighting a man with a horn. It was, one of his hands holds a horn. He can't even defend himself. Like prior to this point, prior to the Magister kind of popping off as like the yeah. MVP of this game for me. I was really worried that all of my new models weren't either going to appear, like I'd never get the Chaos Spawn, hmm. or would just be like, okay, it's new models time. They're all rubbish. <laughs> They're and all you don't, you don't get to see their cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. But Magister, yes. Cursling, hmm. Mm. <laughs> um, and then um, I don't understand my own handwriting. So something, that, something else happened in that turn. God knows. Who knows? Your fourth turn, I think by this point you'd lost all the sequiturs. It was just Vanguard versus the world, get into the it, zone. It was just rush into the central bubble. And I, as you say, like, when I actually decided to bring them down there and just run them in, it was purely like, can I make the armor saves or not? That's going to decide the outcome. They, These guys can't kill very much, which is a big problem with the Vanguard. They just don't really have the punch um, that you that anyone would fear. Yeah. Even the shooting is, is very swingy because the four plus is to... Um, hit a wound, I can't remember. But, uh, so, and no rend or anything. Uh, so yeah. The, the, There's a lot of shooting at the Magister and not getting much done. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, like, so Dr. Dutes inspired one of the units of Vanguard Hunters. Uh, they, they could play a, a tune in the hero phase that, uh, makes one unit very happy. And so mm. they run, they can run, they can charge. And because, uh, Vanguard Hunters, as part of their normal rules, they can run and shoot. The, For the record, it's the Vanguard Boys is, the, the Vanguard Boss is coming. <laughs> We like to party. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so I had a unit which could run, shoot, and then charge, which is rare in the, <laughs> age, yeah. the game Age of Sigma. Um, and it felt great, but none of their attacks had impacted. Uh, I had, impact. I had some good saves, but basically like the Magister, uh, the Gaunt Summon has a six up save, the Magister has a five up save, mm. and plus one from being on the Bailman Vortex, re-rolling ones thanks to a Mystic Shield provided yeah. by the Curse Lane. Yes. Which is the one thing the cursing did all game, basically, was provide Mystic Shield to yeah. a wizard. Uh, meant that I suddenly had a four up save re-rolling ones, mm. which turns me into a Stormcaster Tunnels Liberator. <laughs> it really does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it a Liberator on a, a five wound Liberator riding a Vortex? <laughs> yeah, and, and it turns out that Vanguard Hunters don't really have the tools to deal, to deal with that. Uh, and even in combat, they just didn't do anything as well. Uh, but, like, the main thing was that for them to just sit there and one turn, you had one turn of damage, basically at that point to clear yeah it, some units and so the scenario uh, requires that me as the attacker i need to get two units into that bubble survive by uh, the end of round five and that is a victory i think it's a minor victory it's a minor victory yeah uh, so if you get three in or something it's major yeah and so i just i th- threw in dr dudes that's one i threw in unit vanguard hunters that's two and the Lord Aquila made it in. That's three. And there was a, a dangling, lone, a single Vanguard, yeah. brave Vanguard hunter who's who was fleeing from his mates who are being murdered by a tentacle beast at the back of the board. <laughs> yeah. And he was, but he was outside the circle, but he was, he had the potential to sort of like retreat into, into it. Or yeah. Yeah. Do that. And so the final time for you was just, can you, can well, it? yeah. So uh, again, it was down to the roll off somewhat. Mm. Um, the roll off came down to a, uh, we both rolled ones this time <laughs> yeah, and I won again because of the tie breaking sure. for the first time. And then, yeah, I had a sort of, um, it was really, uh, um, it, you know, it was an interesting term because, um, I managed to get the pendulum back out into mm. the sort of, yeah, but kind of stuck, but enough to do some damage. Um, and That's I remember my, uh, I got my, uh, six, um, mortal wound spell off d6 mortal wound spell off on the herald the new herald mm. and rolled a six for mortal wounds and oh, you momentarily yeah. forgot that you'd given uh your general a 
four up mortal wound save artifact. I was like, oh, well, he's dead then. I was like, no. And then he took <laughs> one wound dice. from it. <laughs> that was a hot roll. And then, so I was pouring all this magic into the Lord Aquila for that turn, mm-hmm. and it was just one wound, one wound, one wound at a time, down to, I think, three wounds left yeah. on your Lord Aquila. Um, shooting did absolutely nothing. No, it's not going to get still gastry. No, um, but still, right? No, shooting didn't do anything. And then... Um, but two really crucial things happened. One is that my, well, the main thing is that my cursling, useless this entire game, mm-hmm. pulled off a 11 inch charge to run around, um, your other units and directly into the Lord Aquila, mm. which is a cool kind of ending moment. Mm. It's general on general. Yeah. And crucially, I had given him an artifact from the realm of metal list that I picked partly for thematic reasons because it felt right but it's a suit of armor called Gildenbane and Gildenbane switches off other artifacts within three inches of it. And I picked this because of the experience we previously had with the lens of reflection, uh, lens of refraction, which has been FAQ'd since and, and nerfed a bit, but, mm. but still knowing that you will probably always go for some kind of mortal wound save against sure. me. Yeah. I really like this dynamic because I can switch it off, but I have to get this guy within three inches of you. It's yeah. not like I'll cast a spell and do it. So he charges across the battlefield, gets into three inches of Lord Aquila, switches off your mortal wound save, and then doesn't whiff <laughs> and manages to kill the Lord Aquila on the on the charge, which is a cool moment. Yeah. For me, it's a bad moment for you, but still. Um, meanwhile, the one guy running from the Chaos Spawn gets chased down and completely murdered by that Chaos Spawn, if I remember right. Makes sense. Um, and this leaves... Uh, and then the Vanguard Hunters, who by this point have charged into the Bellwind Vortex, are kind of trying to hack it down, mm. trying to destroy it, get down to two people, but I can't yeah. shift them any more than that. Mm. And at that point, incredibly, the game is a guaranteed draw. Yep. Because if there is, if I haven't managed to completely clear you from that zone, it's a draw. Mm. If you have two, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a win. But you had two models left out of your entire army. Yep. But that was enough for us to end on a tie that's right so um i had the the final turn of the yeah of, of round five and what you do is you retreat retreat out of combat because that's the only place where you can possibly be hurt and then once you do that as long as you're outside of the piling range then that's it you guaranteed the draw yeah and i think that like we, we we sat and thought about this for a moment afterwards like what does it actually mean <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah what does it mean for the, because obviously i had i here? had vast numbers over you at that yeah. point including most of the angle so those two vanguard hunters are not getting out of this alive no like no, no. but um i like the thought that they the the ritual's kind of been successful and the silver tower has been pulled into reality but whatever kind of a sort of additional powers would have bound it to this specific place and and made some kind of substantial change to this landscape and caused problems for the civilization being established in the future has sort of been thwarted. Mm. So you've ended up in a sort of stalemate where like Zinch's foothold has very much been established, but at the same time, the heroic sacrifice of these Vanguard hunters has prevented the ritual enough. Yeah. Mm. And in future, I mean, that giant semi-present silver tower is going to be a beacon to Sigmar. Go and deal with this. Yeah. Send your best. In stuff. fact, dealing with this may well be a theme of our miniatures monthly event in November. <laughs> <Turns out. laughs> Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But nonetheless, and that was a really cool ending. We've never drawn before, I think. I don't think so, actually. And no. it was a really cool kind of like, particularly because, you know, it's almost like new characters kind of delivering the win at the end, both yeah. for me and for you, which is. I, I think both armies had their sort of characteristic moments as well, like very action yeah. correct moments, things that were right for, like Zeke just 
you know, having a great magic phase and turning dudes into chaos spawns. And then, you know, or for me, the sequiturs just tanking it at this vast unit, you know, it just felt right for both armies. Can I give a shout out to my extremely sensible chaos spawn? So <laughs> yes. the great thing about chaos spawn yeah. is both their attack value as in how many attacks they get and their movement value is 2d6. So they are either incredible, maybe borderline broken. Like if you roll double sixes for chaos spawn attacks, mm. they get 12 three up, three up attacks. Because if, if the roll is a double, they get plus one to hit and plus one to uh, wound. Right. Otherwise they're four up, four up. Okay. So a double, you know, a double six is like a broken <laughs> for the points. It's, mm. you know, if you paid points for it, it'd be 50 points for, you know, yeah, 12, you three up, three, three up. Three of your spell. Exactly. Like right. Insane. Mm. Similarly, their movement value is either two or 12, you <laughs> think, when you look at 2d6, yeah. right? Um, every single time I rolled to determine their number of attacks, this game, every single time I rolled six. <laughs> I either rolled, I rolled two lots of five and one and one lot of two and four. You had, um, just very stable sport. Yeah, exactly. Just extremely <laughs> yeah. calm and calculated. And the one time they had to move, it was a five, which yeah. is very reasonable infantry <laughs> movement distance. <laughs> and I like the idea that these stormcasts that have been turned into chaos spawn is like, don't worry, I've still got it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, just the echo of their past like, like, ordinariness. I've turned into 18 knives, but I'm, I'm feeling okay. <laughs> don't worry. I'm, it's all right. <laughs> I move exactly as fast and attack exactly as much. <laughs> they were great. And uh, those those models are rad as well. Yeah, that's really a fun cool. kit. They, they look great. And uh, it was just fun to see them popping up in, in the middle of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> it's sort of, it's kind of in any kind of form of Warhammer. It's not chaos for me without chaos spawn to some extent. Yeah. It's like, that's the threat of chaos, right? Like mm. you think about it too hard. It's all just tentacles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's rad. It was, it was really, it was, yeah, it was really layered game with lots mm. of kind of swings back and forth and just overall reminded me how much I love playing Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, it was good, yeah. A happy return to yeah, the thing we do. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Right, now let's transition seamlessly back into the present, Tom. <laughs> Woo! We're back. Backwards. Um, and do questions. And because uh, because we we were bad, we missed a thing, uh, an episode, I mean, uh, we got loads of them. So look forward to this. <laughs> uh, we might have to read the questions very quickly, but we're going to try and get through all of them. Let's do it. Heroes. Yeah. First question is comes from Fisty who writes, Dear Chris and Tom, when painting it feels like I'm always fighting against the paint and brush to get paint where I want it to go or even come off the brush. Mm. This can be legitimately depressing at times. Have either of you experienced this? How have you avoided it? This problem is especially apparent on surfaces with slight texture like the Saurus Knight's cold one's lower legs. Note, this is with thinning the paints and using a wet palette. Do you think painting a stock GW scheme is better starting with veneer painters since they give you a list of paints and how to use them on the Warhammer TV YouTube channel? As a, a side note, the Frompt Clause... Uh, on the seraphim cold ones are incredibly derp he's he right thanks fisty hmm. um so uh, my before we got to the the wet palette thing my answer to this was just going to be thin your paints yeah it's because uh, paint consistency is one of the most for me the hardest thing to get especially if you're doing like fine detail work is absolutely essential that mm. you've got enough just the right amount of water not too much and that it's flowing off the br- brush correctly i found that having good brushes does help yeah uh, and GW's brushes are good, um, but there are yeah. I've got also, some ones. Um, shake the shit out of your paints. Mm, that's like good if, advice, if yeah. the pigment has mixed or is sort of separated slightly, then that might be a reason you're struggling. Either because it's what's left is too thick or too thin. Mm. Um, shake the shit out of it. Water it down probably more than you think you need to, and do two coats. Mm. Um, like because if the issue is, it's not simply like if the, issue is the paint's literally coming not coming off the brush. Yeah, then it's there's either. I wonder if it, it maybe look at your primer as well. 
I don't, yeah. So if, if I don't know if you can have a duff batch of prime or it's not going on in the correct consistency or there's not enough of it. But yeah, you, you'll struggle without that. Yeah, make sure you're using like if I, you know. I mean, I usually am fine to just paint over a coloured spray that doesn't necessarily have primer in it. But make sure you're priming with something that has primer in it. Yeah. So basically, if it's GW stuff, either chaos black or mm. or white, um, or you know, if you're using a, you know a primer, like other than that. Like, I, I kind of know that the experience of, like, this doesn't seem to be coming off right, but it's almost always a patience issue for me. It's mm. like, I'm I'm expecting too much from one coat or something, and mm. then you have to get used to doing two or three coats, but... It depends a lot on your brush as well. Like, some brushes just, they don't have a huge reservoir, and they run out really quickly, so you, you always get the paint out of it too quickly. Like, this is always a problem for me with, like, tiny, tiny brushes that you see, like, army painter ones. That are, there's one called the Psycho, which is absolutely tiny. Oh, yeah, I've tiny. got one of them, yeah. Uh, and um, it's kind of has occasional uses but because the brush is so small it can't actually hold a reservoir of paint so you, you like the better brushes are the ones which are a little bit fat but have a very fine tip so yeah i've been i just I've, i'm basically been painting exclusively recently with uh, one size of um sable brush and there are ethical reasons not to have a sable brush and i kind of like i was a big dumb idiot and didn't kind of like investigate that stuff properly before i got one hmm. And so, just because they're animal fur, so there's a lot of... And it's ethically sourced to the extent, you know, yeah. make your piece with the extent to which that applies. Um, but um, it's... The bad news, if you don't want one, is they're it's good. incredible. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's really good. And and because it holds paint, because it it because it's, it holds a fine tip as well, so even though it's quite a big brush, I can do mm. detail work with it that I would otherwise be using an artificer brush for. So, yeah, like... I've got... Um, a couple of Winds, Windsor and Newtons, and that they're all I need. One of them is slightly larger, one of them is slightly smaller. Really, really good. But yeah, yeah, it's up to whatever your preference is. Regarding following guides or the Warhammer guides, I think following any kind of guide is it's essential. Start. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, I, the, those videos are excellent, and I wish they'd been around when I started painting, because they, um, they're just quite honest about how how what it takes to get coverage to look good yeah you know really basic things like that which um i was very bad at starting out as a child mm. and it's it's just it's it's nice to know that you've got the right paints for what you're trying to do yeah as well. yeah that's true whatever uh, paint system you're using mm. our next question comes from uh 18 for 18 pest question champion peston champion <laughs> uh peter or fiania from discord uh, who writes to lovable magic bird man and steely armor man my question this time is how do you decide what to do with bases i'm firmly with the opinion that a miniature isn't done until the base has some level of decoration on it but i'm also quite boring and an original tends to just plot some texture paint and maybe a skull on them what's your thought process with basing is it something i'd like to get better at love the show pizza for you from discord i often stress about bases because um i feel like you get i get locked into a basing scheme for literally everything i ever do because I don't know, I tend to, we tend to play on certain types of board or certain yeah. colours of board. So the idea of suddenly like, um, getting some Ideneth and putting bright green grass on the base just isn't going to fit in with the rest of my collection. Mm. And so I feel like I'm locked into the old Astro Granite and a few skulls, like he describes. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know about, but you and there's nothing wrong with Like I've basically like, cause mine started with, you know, when I started painting the Silver Tower models, I was like, I'm not going to spend much time on the bases because, uh, at the time I didn't, you know, I knew they'd be playing on the silver tower board, and so there's no basing to match that. So I did blue astrogranite, basically. Mm. And then that blue astrogranite has become the scheme for my entire terrain board. <laughs> right. And has sort of evolved a bit. Um, I tend to... It's like, if I have an idea at the time I'm doing the model, I'll do that, because it's fun. Like the curse thing I did recently is mm. the custom base. Or my war queen. If I don't have an idea, it's fine to do some tufts and a skull. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just try and create a bit of... Um, 
I think a bit of verticality is important, whether that's, even if the model's standing flat on the base, having some ele- raised elements helps give us a yeah. 3D sense to it. It's true. I've had really good success with them, um, my Vanguard hunters, who are actually, a lot of them are stepping, uh, standing on slate, or they've yeah. one foot on slate and the other foot's on the ground, and you can, uh, it varies the poses as well, especially for kits which can look quite similar otherwise, and a slate is really good. It's, yeah. It's, it's quite responsive. And, um, and that's, um, like, I think, um, uh, so my Necrons are all going to be on cork. Uh, I got a shitload of cork. Oh, and great. I, yeah. yeah, cork bases. Uh, I mean, as in when I, the entire army is going to be on cork, like hmm. um, to get this kind of blasted kind of apocalypse wasteland look. And there's some things about, you know, working with cork and PVA that can be a bit tricky. But um, when I get around to doing the army, I'm going to spend a week, a month, however long it takes doing all of the bases in advance. Hmm. I'm going to plan and do every single base before I paint a single model. So they're going to be super consistent across the board. Yeah. But it also means that the basing side of it is both a project in its own right and therefore fun, like yeah. balancing out skulls and barbed wire and all these other effects yeah, and things cool. but also means that when it's done it's done mm. and every single model will then get a separate spray of lead belcher plonked on a base painted nice. and like you've almost you know rather than then basing being something you've just finished a painstaking model then you worry about what the basing it's like it's done now mm. um in terms of other ideas i think um the other thing is like with a with a model that definitely needs a base like you know manticore or something i don't know what to do with it i just start doing stuff <laughs> like hmm. uh milliput is really good for this uh fine grain milliput you get more of it um and it mixes faster than um uh than a green stuff and importantly it's like quite clay like until it goes sort of rock solid hmm. and so often i'll just put big blobs on it down in the base and kind of like sculpt it into it. hills with some vague sense of where the model's feet will be so I avoid kind of that hmm. and then you can like just jam stuff into it like bits of slate or what skulls or whatever mm. and then sort of smooth over the gaps so because obviously when you push stuff in it'll create kind of weird effects yeah. Yeah. and then paint astrogranite or whatever over that mm. and you end up with really natural looking kind of nice hills and little you know a little bit of surface texture on the base which again helps excellent yeah mm. i love basing basing mm. is the converting i like doing because yeah. on a flat plane yeah i agree with fiona that um your models don't look finished unless the base is there's something on the base yeah definitely um but it's warhammer a skull is fine <laughs> yeah, absolutely a toughened skull you're done don't exactly next question comes from um orfeo who writes hi guys big fan of the podcast enjoy listening and it continually tempts me to give up my 40k army and play aos instead hmm. Uh, with the imminent advent of X-Wing 2.0, are there any particular ships that you want to see buffed and or nerfed? I love B-Wings, but never saw them feature on any competitive lists. Also, on a completely different note, you mentioned some great AOS books a few podcasts ago, but I completely forgot them. Which ones are great to start with? I'd love to get more into the lore. Uh, hmm. So we've mentioned that the, the core book is a amazing in, a general introduction to the thing, but Spear of Shadows is probably my favourite of the Spear of Shadows is so basically all the Josh Reynolds books are yeah, good yeah. so um, I'm, I'm midway through um, Soul War at the moment which is okay. the book that was released to accompany that's a Josh Reynolds book as well that's yeah. good as well nice um, it's got some good good uh, just Nagash stuff in it and some good yeah. um, Sigma is far more personally in it oh is it yeah, yeah you get a lot more what Sigma's actually like oh, read that. Um, the, there's an account of what happened when the Necroquake hit the Chamber of Apotheosis huh um nice. it's, it's basically just it's it's like thor ghostbusters it's <laughs> it's like it, i think it's really wrong but also there's a description of like sigmar just hanging out he's very much like a primarch in mm. from a horror terrorist he's just your big dad 
Yeah. Your big dad is here, and everyone loves big dad. (laughs) That's Uh, it. And he's just hanging out. Hmm. But then, like, the the tower they're in starts to collapse, so Sigma just grows and becomes massive and (laughs) holds the roof up like Atlas. Right. So, because that's what he can do. Yeah. And he becomes the biggest dad. (laughs) Uh, So those are good. Um, Yeah. On the X-Wing stuff, obviously, we'll maybe cover some of this stuff off, Hmm. but... um, uh, if you like B-Wings, you'll be pleased to know that I think B-Wings are secretly pretty good in second edition. Nice. B-Wings used to be very, very good in first edition, to be fair. Yeah. They're part of an archetype called uh, BBBBZ, um, which is four B-Wings and a Z95, which was a sort of one of those core game archetypes for a long time, mm. deprecated with power creep. Um, here's my hot tip. 10 num plus elusive, really good ship for 53 points, which isn't a lot. Mm. Um, nice. Uh, natural, natural synergy. Um, although Rebels are in a bit of a weird place generally in second edition at the moment. Um, as for uh, buffed or nerfed, um, I think uh, probably, uh, let's think, I'm trying to think about second edition stuff off the bat. I think probably um, maybe tie bombers, they may have been buffed too much. Hmm. They've been, they had their points costs kind of destroyed in order to bring them back into the game. Right. And they might be a bit good now hmm. for what you get for the points there. They're, they're kind of, hmm. but you, you know, we're not going to know till it comes out kind of how important that ends up being. Hmm. I really like the slave one ship and model. Yeah. And I liked the opportunity to run that in games. Very good in second edition. Ooh. Might be one of the top tier scum ships. Yes. I do like the toilet seats as well. What's it the called? Jump Master. Yeah, I, I know it kind of broke the game to an extent, yeah, yeah. Um, but I really like the model. I, I love the idea of a lopsided dial for a lopsided ship as well. That's it's a stupid idea, but it really <laughs> does know, prefer yeah, really to like, turn it's, it's very left. funny. <laughs> it's very funny. Turn right, turn, yeah, turn left. It likes to go left, doesn't like to go right. right. <laughs> uh, who would design a thing like that? Good. Um, yes, I, I guess more on X-Wing 2nd Edition when we, mm. when we, when we get to it, but also, yeah, I suspect this question might have been written at a time when less was known about 2nd Edition. Yeah. yeah, this question came in in July. So, ah, there you go. Yeah, um, so maybe we know a little bit more than than we did then. Also, Tom, you need to stop hitting your microphone. Yeah, I've moved it. <laughs> cool. uh, fans of Tom hitting his microphone with <laughs> drinks will have really enjoyed this episode. Cup of tea. Next question comes from Mr. Juice, uh, whose email is frighteningly titled, Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> um, the best question. Uh, yo, this morning my wife raised a not unreasonable question. What is the long-term plan for my models? Although I do occasionally get to play, I'm mostly in this for the hobby, and due to the nature of my work and the fact that I don't have kids, I get a lot of painting time. If I keep going at the rate I currently am, and assuming I don't burn out, I'll end up with a collection of thousands of painted models within a few years. I don't live in a mansion, so storing thousands of tiny plastic men is going to be tricky. The idea of selling off my hard work makes me sad, but I suspect I'll get to a point where it's that or stop painting. Assuming neither of you live in a warehouse or have a TARDIS in your hobby room, I guess this is going to be a problem for you too, sooner or later. What is your intended solution? or are you like me ignoring the problem and hoping it will magically resolve itself mm. yeah I feel you with about the storage space thing definitely I, just, I need a giant cupboard to put most of them in mm. I think I, I just I, I've got a rotating display that is what I envision having in yeah. a few years time where uh, I've got like I've got like a shelf or maybe it's slightly diorama like and I kind of bring out certain models just to look at them and sort of take pleasure in them uh, but I think you know, don't feel bad about selling stuff off if you're really not going to look at them anymore like if you genuinely honestly think to yourself oh am i really gonna put you know play with these sovereign i thought look at these sovereign mm. i thought whatever then yeah sure sell them someone else can use them yeah selling off painted models makes me a bit sad i kind of get yeah, that. i know what you mean like i think um like i'm kind of maybe i'm lucky because i do have a little bit of storage space like i'm thinking of getting another kind of carry case for things to live in because it does make a big difference yeah um, I can see stuff going into storage, possibly, like, for for a while. Partly because I kind of hope that 
you know, I'll continue to get mileage out of them, either playing or just sort of enjoying the collection until mm. I can, you know, not that I have plans in this regard, but like give them to my kids or something. You know mm. what I mean? Like it's sort of, it's an investment yeah, in my time. Yeah. I, you know, that'd be the kind of blue sky thought on it. Um, ultimately, I think if my life changed substantially, I wouldn't be totally opposed to uh, selling them on, but I'd probably be more inclined to like put them on like semi-permanent loan yeah, that's someone, a good word, isn't it? Like, give it to someone who's ex- interested in the hobby or just wants to yeah, try them. Yeah, like to a friend or someone mm. who's just getting into the hobby or something like that, so that I, you know, kind of knew where they were. Yeah, yeah. Like, and making someone happy somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I'm not, I don't know, like, it. it is, it's not like a box full of Xbox 360 games, I'm thinking about things that are literally in this room, that I just haven't walked down to CEX yet. You know, yeah. I have no attachment to that, even though it represents an, mm. a big time in my life and a big lot of time, mm. because I didn't put any of myself into that. And mm. that you know, Whereas, like, I don't know, like my Zeech collection, for example, I will probably stick around. Yeah. Um, because ultimately, it's not... I mean, also, maybe, like, I don't anticipate getting to the point where I have... Um, I'll put it this way. I can see myself stopping collecting things, mm. but keeping the things I do have and getting them out every now and then for a game of Warhammer. Yeah. Right. Mm. Like I don't see myself buying armies forever. I'll yeah. Put it that way. Mm. But mm. I say that now. <laughs> we will see. Yeah. And then they already start. With. Yeah. I mean like a couple more armies, <laughs> but like, you know, I, I don't see it. I suppose that's the way I'd put it as I don't see it as like an exponential miniatures yeah. acquisition curve. Yeah. I think it's more that you just stop collecting at some point mm. and keep the stuff you've got or like change the rate of it. Yeah. Next question, um, comes from, uh, Drew who writes, hi, uh, Chris's suit and Tom hammer. That's pretty <laughs> good. Yeah. Uh, a good attempt. Recently, I built up a Bane Sword from the Imperial Guard Super Heavy Kit. The range of different vehicles which the kit makes, along with the nice little hobby details, superfluous toolboxes, crank handles, etc., all made me think that whilst I might have other favourite models, this might be my favourite kit. Mm. Based on scale of final model, slash times age, slash times build options, times modelling details, times etc., do you have a kit that particularly stands out for you? Alternatively, as a less nerdy definition, if you could only build one kit for the rest of your hobby life, which kit would it be? Uh, thanks for putting... Uh, Drew. Um, mm, that is an interesting question. Yeah, it's tricky, and it's hard. It's tricky with AOS in particular because you don't tend to get the 40k style level of build options for most for most units. Yeah, like it doesn't make sense for them to be, mm. you know, modular, modular in the way that. Yeah. Um. Well. Hmm. I think. So yeah, build one kit for the rest of your life is an interesting one because I can only think of ones I wouldn't. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the worst ones. Like God, I love the um, Vanguard Paladors, but oh, that kit is so yeah, so awful. It's, it's an amazing kit technically. I mean, the results are great, but it's horrible to build. It takes ages. It might be a bit of a cop out, but like I really do love that 40k terrain stuff. Mm. Like I feel like if I had to build one thing for the rest of my life, I would just build like gradually build 
a hive city. world by myself. <laughs> yeah, that would because <laughs> like, I love the I love the sense of place. Mm. You know what I mean? Like if if I could literally just sit there mm. expanding this place and making it into a place, that would probably mean more to me than like a mm. infinitely expanding crowd of space marines. Yes. Yeah. Although there are things that like I really would love to do like as a hobby end goal and maybe completely contrary to the thing I just said about storage, I'd love to do like the kind of doing a space marine chapter one day. Mm. Like I just like Making I love it. the sense of scale that has and just being able to look at it and be like, yeah. look at this. Yeah. Um which is all you do with it. You never play with it. It'd just be like, look at this. But imagine how good it would be to look at. Yeah. Um, but those particular kits, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know specifically. Um, yeah, like I don't like particularly enjoy the Necron kits that I've been doing recently. Mm. The the New Thousand Suns kits are really good, but actually the detail's quite specific. It's like you get loads of good options. Yeah. But I imagine if you'd done like maybe three boxes of Rupert Marines, you've kind of probably seen everything mm. you can do with that. Mm. Mm. I wonder what the um, New York vehicle kits going to be like. Because they they could be really really fun to kind of customize and change uh, yeah. for the October. I tell you what, I would probably do Knights Forever. Oh yeah, or good, um, good chance, or actually. even Adaptus Titanicus Titans. Yeah, because yeah. I love a big robot me, mm. and I will just do diorama bases and 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 different poses and just end up with this endless household. You know what I mean? That's but a good like, shout. Yeah. I haven't yeah. actually, I mean, I'm saying that having never done one myself, but I know what's on the sprue, so it's sort of yeah. Know, what um, what would be the, fun to keep doing? I guess I watched Duncan's video, uh, Warhammer TV painting one mm. of the knights. Um, sorry, one of the titans, in fact. And uh, you get the kind of underskeleton that you assemble first and paint, and then you layer on the armor bit by bit. Yeah, and that looks like a really satisfying build. Yeah, I think as not primarily 40k players, it's actually surprisingly hard to answer that question. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, in of itself, it's a big difference, isn't it, between yeah. the two ranges? Um. Yes, cool. Uh, he also mentions the uh, hashtag Age of Sig Marathon, oh, yeah. uh, which is the thing that our community is doing in order to get armies ready for our event in November, Fantastic. which we'll talk about in a yeah. bit. Yeah, so just a little remember, reminder that, um, a reminder, I know what I'm talking about, a little reminder that that's happening, and if people want to take part, then everyone's welcome. Next question comes from Mark, uh, who writes in a very small font that I'm going to have to lean in to see. Hello, strange bird and a wee rate dog, seven out of ten golden retriever. <laughs> That is a very specific That's read a deep on you. cut. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> golden Retriever. I like Golden Retrievers. Mm, I'd do more like a Collie. I love Golden Retrievers. Mm, that's true. Mm. Didn't, didn't you have a, a lab? Uh, no, we, um, our family had two or three Golden Retrievers oh, right. in a rotation. <laughs> 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 one in, one out. <laughs> Aww, they're good dogs, Tam. Um, if Primarchs had a his dark materials demon which ones would they have oh, that's a good question that is a good question i can see jagatai khan with an eagle swooping alongside his motorbike sanguinius with the bird of paradise and lorgar with a snake uh yours familiarly a sloth and that's from chronotherm hmm hmm we don't have to do all the primarchs because i suspect we're gonna have some more primarch questions buried in this huge pile but um so i think well i think i think Gilliman would have a golden retriever yeah, that's that's a good shout. I like loyal, loyal, uh, dependable, gold, gold. Yeah. Um, hmm. Let's think. Uh, I think the lion is probably a cat person, mm. partly because of lion, but also <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think Lemon Russ probably answers itself to be honest because he has two of them. Yes, that's true, and they are wolves. Um, I think. Uh, ooh, let's think. Um, Alpharius gets a chameleon. I mean, they're, they're, they're simple as a snake, right? It's the Hydra, but, mm. you know. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, no, it would be like one of those, like, freaky insects that pretends to be a leaf. 
Yes. Well, the stick insects. Yeah, mm. the one, but the ones that look exactly like a leaf. It's weird. Mm. I think they're called leaf bugs. <laughs> yeah, I know the ones you mean. Yeah. I like the idea of uh, them having <clears throat> demons that can sort of live inside their armour, their massive mm. armour, just have a little house in there, just a little sort of shed inside, mm. the, inside the Primark armour. And they'll just uh, pop yeah. out to give you advice. Like, shoot that thing. <laughs> and don't go over there. Look out for that demon. I think Horus would be a beautiful horse. Right. Like a gorgeous... He'd just kill any horse he like, sat on, though, wouldn't he? He would. He doesn't have to sit on it. It's his, it's his demon. stands next to him. It's his, you know, yeah. it's his, like, it's his something about his soul, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's his, I think, it, I think it's a horse. And that's not just because it sounds like Horus. <laughs> Horus and his <laughs> the horse. The horse heresy. <laughs> um, I mean, just for that alone, it's correct. Yeah. Um, let's think. The Emperor's, um, the Emperor's demon is just like, all the Primarchs are just his demons, I suppose. That's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who else we got? Who are we missing? Um, Rogel Dawn. What is an animal that will defend you, but is probably a little bit masochistic? <laughs> uh, like, a bee. Hmm. Very defensive of the hive. Yes. But kills itself when it, when it attacks. Yeah, they're ba- he's a bumblebee. He's a bumblebee. It's a bumblebee. And they're yellow and black. Yeah. And it would- Nailed it. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. I'm, I'm trying to get around Magnus. Which I think, hmm. maybe like a minor bird or something. I, just, uh, I imagine just a shifting creature that is, you know, one moment a unicorn and the next moment an eagle that sort of, you know, yeah. it's a, a permanent state well, of change. Have, I mean, the Thousand Suns have tutelary spirits that mm. follow them around. Mm. Um, maybe a parrot. <laughs> There's the other answer. Something really colourful. <laughs> maybe a parrot. Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, a heresy parrot. Uh, let's think. What it would be a, a beautiful rainbow-coloured cocoon that whispers to him. Yeah. And the thing inside is always in a state of change. Angron would have one of those, <laughs> um, like, um, horn beetles that can't stop suplexing other beetles. <laughs> one of those uh, honey badgers, famously yeah. angry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> honey badger. Is that honey one? badger, yeah. Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, it is. Good. That, yeah, you've remembered that right. It's, it's a really aggressive thing that just, like, yeah, yeah. kills. Yeah, eats things, yeah. Eats snakes that, even as they're being bitten by the snake, they're just eating it. Yeah, yeah. Very angry yeah, about the whole thing. Ron. Yeah. <laughs> Anger on about the whole thing. Angry Ron. Um, yeah, Ferris Manus and Petarabo are kind of different ones because they're kind of robo-men, so... They'd build their own demons. Yeah, be a uh, Con- Conrad Kerr is definitely a bat. Ferris M- Manus has a Roomba. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a Roomba. <laughs> yeah, it's a Roomba that talks to him. Yeah. He asks it advice. It just goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Petrobos is just an Alexa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, let's think. No, I think, so Conrad Kurtz is obviously a bat because he's basically Batman. Yeah. Um, uh, Corvus Corax is obviously a crow because his name is Crow Crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not subtle, the Prime Monks, are they? No. That's no, what no. I like about them. <laughs> Good. I think that answers that one. We probably missed someone, but, you know, we've got a lot of questions. Uh, next, Kingsley writes, Dear Chris and Tom, the Lord Zinch gazes upon you and decides to change you into one of the other races of the Age of Sigma. <laughs> what form does this blessing take? Well, so we could become any... Yeah, you become one of the factions or one of the, oh, one of the peoples of the mortal realms. Uh, give me a bit of death, the immor- immortality <laughs> of death. <laughs> so you become a skeleton. A skeleton or a banshee, whatever mm. whatever happens. <laughs> <one day. laughs> I'd be a banshee. I can see you as a skeleton. I'd be a, I'd, I'd be a very happy skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> really scared, like, just fucking loving it. Yeah. Lo- loving. Um, dead and loving it. Loving bim bones. Yeah. Um, I think I would be... Hmm. Maybe a caradron? <laughs> yeah. I can imagine that. that, actually. Yeah. Um, but I think, like, 
you'd be a kind of socialist character and <laughs> exactly. I don't think you go with like full libertarian no that's the thing that doesn't appeal to me about it yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah whatever the- <laughs> exactly um so maybe not I just kind of I was thinking probably be dwarves um mm. but um hmm let's think not Sylvan F I I don't I don't don't, like I might be too sort of uh, inconsistent in my beliefs for that Um, they're very very mono kind of focused on stuff I think I'm not edgy Mm. enough for Ideneth I think anyone is really no Um, Beastmen are a bit scary really at the end of the day actually it might be Zangor Mm. like because like just an I mean it's I mean it's just a beast man that can read that's at the end of the day yeah. right oh, is that aren't we all <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> fuck man <laughs> man dude <laughs> yeah Jesus um, <sighs> incredible of this tea. next Jams writes hi Chris and Tom I'm in awe of Tom managing to keep his laser focus on his Stormcast and get to the end of his shame pile. Mm. Chris seems real good at keeping to his core stuff too. My own shame pile is a large and scattershot collection of things I thought were cool, but now I've no real need for. How have you managed to stop that happening to your own shame piles? And do you have any tips for being avoided by being distracted by hot new stuff? Bye, Jams. Uh, well, my answer is shame. <laughs> Putting the shame back in shame pile. Yeah, build a new one. Once you finish your first one, you've got to get a new one. No, but seriously, like, I think there's, I mean, we've discovered it a few times in this pod, that sort of like, I want to buy this mm. feeling. Um, it's a thing. And it's actually okay to indulge that thing sometimes. Yeah. But uh, I think sometimes just, for me, it's like, like with Lord of the Rings at the moment, I know it's a feeling I have, mm. but I kind of like to try and sit on those feelings for like two weeks. Yeah, just see. You don't know. And then see if I still like it, mm-hmm. you know? Maybe that's a technique. Like, don't get anything on release day. Mm. Don't pre-order anything. Get everything two weeks later. Just kind of, yeah, chill on it. I, I went through a phase of um, really looking into buying some Warmaster off eBay. Mm. And I had that precise thing and ended up sort of just making a kit out of um, foam board and playing with it. And that's a very weird rule system. Uh, played it against Jib and it was quite strange. So I'm kind of glad I didn't spend loads of money doing that now. Yeah, like I, you know, I was really tempted by Adneth. I bought the Adneth book and I still got it. Mm. Um, but then I realised that like oh well it'll probably be in big battle force boxes at the end of the year for the Christmas roundup because it tends to happen with factions that get released at that point in the year that's true and then I also realised I really want to finish Zinch and also Dark Earth might be coming so I'm just going to kind of like mm. uh, sit on that one I may have mentioned this as an answer to this question before but like the books are a good way of kind of like getting your fill of something yeah that's a good point kind of and they're very they're really nice just to pick up at, even once you've kind of read yeah. the, the, the photography's beautiful yeah and, it, and, and you know you're getting you're enjoying reading it and you know maybe it's maybe you qualify it as a waste if you never play using the rule section of the book but mm. honestly I genuinely think that like reading through rule sections and imagining things you might build is legitimate yeah, value it's definitely. like just like window shopping is legitimate value mm. Mm. And, and a big part of the hobby to be honest yeah just looking at the colour schemes in the heavy metal and going thinking about what you might do with the models and yeah. your own theme like yeah that's, it's just good brain fuel isn't it it's like I mean legitimately the app or the, the army builder on the website yes it's technically there to help you build armies mm. for the game you play but what it's really there for is you're procrastinating <laughs> and you have fun building an army you don't own yeah. for like 20 minutes and then you close it and never think about it again. yeah yeah definitely like that, really that is what it, it's a game basically mm. yeah itself. it's nice yeah um, yeah I think that's 
there's some advice buried in there somewhere. Next question comes from uh, Mitchell Oxpate on Discord, who writes, Dear Chris Tech and Tom Spider, little uh, mm-hmm. Necron themed on there. Um, I've recently gotten back into X-Wing through the excellent Heroes of the Aturi Cluster co-op campaign. Uh, my friends and I are not very competitive, so this is the perfect way to enjoy the game, and it still manages to produce interesting stories, especially that time one of the AI time fighters AI TIE fighters broke formation, flew into the same asteroid four times and exploded without firing a shot at it. Just like in the movies. Do you think that AOS or 40k could benefit from some kind of co-op way to play? Thanks for the pod, and thanks to the Discord community for being so helpful and friendly. It's from Mitchell. Love this idea. I really love this idea that, that you'd have uh, AI control boards and you'd play as maybe like a co-op kill team trying to take take them out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I guess the closest thing is stuff like Silver Tower, isn't it? Well, I was going to mention that. Like, So Heroes of the Turi Cluster, if you haven't heard of it, is a fan-made expansion for X-Wing. Right. So, which adds kind of a, a rudimentary AI system um, and sort of progression. So you've got a role-playing campaign. That's oh, cool. Make, it's cool. It's really cool. That's excellent. Um, but yeah, Silver Tower is the closest precedent mm. for that. In, in and, and then a bit of news we forgot to mention, which is Warhammer Quest Blackstone Fortress, which is 40k Silver Tower, basically, yeah. which is on its way, maybe this year, awesome. which is super exciting to yeah, me. Yeah, that's right. Um, in fact, like they, Warhammer Quest kind of lost me when Shadows Over Hammerhall mm. came out and required a GM. Yeah. Because, you know, getting Silver Tower and therefore getting back into Warhammer for me was because I wanted a dungeon crawler that I could just play with my friends yeah. and not have to have one person separate. And if, you've, if you're going to have a GM, you might as well do some pen and paper role-playing, right? Because mm-hmm. there are better systems out there that will facilitate, you know. Yeah, totally. So um, I think I think this kind of does exist. Although I agree with you that like an army-wide AI system would mm. be would be really interesting. No, that would be interesting to write actually. Hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, our next question uh, comes from Quinn. Not Primarchs this time, but which video game company would each Space Marine Legion be? <coughs> Crossing the streams. Crossing the streams slightly. Maybe we don't have to do all of them. Hmm, it's kind of an interesting one because that it's it's actually not like a perfect match because <laughs> video game companies tend not to be like mono focused in the same way that they they tend not to serve a uh, slightly fascistic god emperor either. So That's true. It's, it's difficult. Well, to... <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so maybe Blizzard for the Ultramarines. Yeah, that's a good trap. Mm. Very dependable. Basically, do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Big book of rules that they don't sway from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a really good shout. Um, hmm. Let's think. Uh, Dark Angels, probably Valve. Yeah, I was trying to find Valve. Maybe a traitor legion, <laughs> full of secrets. Secretly yeah, yeah. full of cliques. <laughs> Privately owned. Privately owned. Um, yes. Uh, let's think. Um, mm, 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 mm. I feel like there's a lot of kind of like quite tragic stories in the games industry, but none of them specifically map onto the tragedies of the Horus Heresy, a real thing that happened. Yeah, I was I was about to make a Riot Games joke that I won't make. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Because the problem is that like a lot of the bad things that happened to game companies were genuinely bad. I mean, yeah. the livelihoods were at stake, so it's kind yeah. of not funny. It's true. Which is a problem, because that's the purpose of this bit. <laughs> we just need to finish out. We've got two. Rule of Comedy, we need a third one. So, part of me wants to say Space Wolves and CD Projekt Red. Oh, yeah. For some reason. But I don't know why. I mean, a CD Projekt Red off the freaking chain. They probably are. Maybe so. Devoted fans. 
I'm angry at them for what they did to Bioware, who in this analogy are the Thousand Sons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Where the Thousand Sons uh, co-opted by co-opted by uh, the forces of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that fits very well. Good. Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. Good. All right. Uh, Quinn did send us a second Primark question as well, uh, which is uh, which character from Mamma Mia Two Here We Go Again would each Primark be? See, I haven't watched it. It's good, very good. Mm, I've heard it's very uh, good. Cher is the emperor. <laughs> it <laughs> totally she works. Should be anyway, she totally is fantastic. Um, and that is actually my dream casting for the emperor. <laughs> Long black hair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's not. I really like Cher. I love Cher and. Uh, I, I, I don't really like the emperor very much. I think she's no, too likable. Uh, well, uh, but she she does austere, most powerful person in this room. Kind of yeah. true, like actually, I yeah. find it hard to visualize. You know that thing that people get in all the descriptions of the emperor, where it's like, you know, just being around him mm. is there's some magnetic force that yeah. sends even Primarchs, you know, kind of kneeling in awe. Mm. I think that is the impact that Cher yeah, has reasonable. on a room. Yeah, I can see that. And, and you know what I mean? Like, it's hard mm. to visualise unless I think about Just that. Raw charisma. Charisma. Um, I don't necessarily want to make this the second time in our podcast history that I've spoken about the movie Burlesque. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but no, very good in Mamma Mia 2. Here we go again. Um, I think... Uh, Hmm. It's hard to necessarily map the other characters on because without spoilers for Mamma Mia 2, mm. here we go again. Um, so maybe I just stick with that. Because, nice. like, I guess you could say... Also, I can't remember the name of any of the dads. It's just... <laughs> the dad It's just the Pierce Brosnan dad, the Skarsgård yeah. dad, and the first dad. Um, you know, which don't necessarily in themselves even map on to to the, the characters off of the Horus heresy a mm. real thing that happened but I will go with Cher as the emperor nice next question comes from uh, Jason uh, who writes hi star Tom Drake and Chris Zangor Zan Chris Gore uh, thoroughly enjoyed your fantastic Age of Sigma second edition time travelling battle report law extravaganza special thanks very much I believe this will be my first ever question from questions. I've been a huge fan of the Crate and Crowbar and have listened religiously ever since the first episode back when Ross Atherton was still leading the pod mm. before the name change. Uh, you mean the PC Gamer podcast? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, yeah, fine. There's a, um, there's a continuum and, there. And before Marsh was lost to the cold Nordic dark. Good shout out, not branding the pod's uh, rebirth, something I'm not going to say out loud. Um, I honestly think Minis Monthly is the best context you've come up with yet. I love how energized and excited you both are, but everything tabletop. It's both hilarious and infectious. Uh, I realized that I've basically just read a good minute of praise. <laughs> I was going start to feel like yeah, I, mean, I was wondering whether, whether to mention it. Yes. Uh, but don't worry, we're going to have the question now. Um, having never gotten into playing Warhammer or any tabletop war games, being a huge fan of the Warhammer universes and pen and paper RPGs, the bit of your AOS second edition special I most enjoyed was discussing around the exciting prospect of an AOS pen and paper system. How likely do you think it is that Games Workshop would release something formally to facilitate pen and paper role playing and storytelling within the AOS setting? I know they've explored the format in the past with things like Rogue Trader. What would each of you want from such a release? And would you want to see a system along with D&D's very deep structured rule set or something looser and more fluid like Numenera? If such a brilliant thing ever does come to exist and you do end up running a campaign in the AOS setting, please could you record your sessions and publish them as a uh, mini minis uh, bonus uh, pod. And um, uh, Jason goes on a little bit further, but it's mostly more praise and I don't want to make us more uncomfortable, so I'm not going to read it. Um, but he says, keep up the sweet tiny people paint jobs and hot lord takes Jason. He also goes on to say, and this was in late August, that it was soon to be his, his birthday, his 30th birthday. And if we hadn't recorded the podcast yet, which spoilers we hadn't um uh could we also say happy birthday jason uh so 
I appreciate it. Now it has been several weeks since your birthday, Jason. But happy birthday, Jason. Happy birthday, Jason. You've turned 30, the year at which you start getting into Warhammer. Yeah. <laughs> again. Love it. I love being 30. Warhammer. 30s. Here we go again. <laughs> um, uh, so to the question i think they have confirmed an aos i think so as well i think I, I don't think dw are doing it i think someone else is no actually, they rarely do it's usually some yeah, yeah it's a, a third third party's doing it uh, I, I i like the idea of kind of a light touch apocalypse world style uh, yeah. vehicle for aos which isn't like a terribly systemic game anyway in terms of mm. the, what's actually happening with people hitting each other um it'd be interesting to see how the realms work as a kind of, as a setting for obviously you've got like the planes in D D, so yeah. there are there are versions of this there's planescape as well yeah uh, yeah i mean if anything aos is m- more mm. in debt to those tabletop yeah, playing games than true. we maybe often talk about i can imagine it working now there's the factions are more sketched out uh, but i still have struggled to imagine some of the factions actually interacting with one another especially mm. for stuff like the sylvaneth like how would you have like a sylvaneth hero alongside a stormcast alongside a uh, you know someone else i think you i think it's fine yeah honestly I think you know it would. I think it would also support a more sort of rulesy kind of dungeon crawly game, just because <laughs> the nature of the setting. Mm. But I do like the idea of something a little lighter touch. The new Cypher system would be a good fit for it. Uh, Genesis system, which Fantasy Flight do, uh, would also be a good fit for it. I think mm. kind of interesting outcomes to stuff. Um, I think it's got the it's got the kind of internal. It now has the kind of internal logic of the world to support a couple of different things. Yeah, like if the players all understand the logic of the world, then you could run with a looser system, and it'd still feel like it had some mm. some crunchiness to it. Yeah. Which is, which is really nice. I'd love to do it. And if if, if ever did happen, um, I would totally record it. Yeah, That'd be a really fun thing to do. That'd be awesome. Um, and do more stupid voices, which is ninety percent of GMing apparently. Um, yeah, cool. And uh, once again, happy birthday, Jason. Next question comes from Tom Dines on Discord, who writes: "Forgive me, Podfathers, for I have sinned. I have many times painted with paint straight from the pot. I just did it now. I know it's wrong." <laughs> But sometimes it's really easy and I just give in to sloth. I promise to try thin coats next time. Help me feel less guilty. What's your hobby confession? Look at the Crate and Crowbar Knights. Yeah. <laughs> the, the real darkness. PC Gamer Knights Knights 2. <laughs> Miniatures Knights. Here we go again. Um, my hobby confession is I secretly do not really give a tremendous shit about gaps or mold lines. Mm, good point, that one. I, I, it's the most tedious bit. Yeah. Me. And I, I'm really bad at it. I often just end up scraping too hard and just out of irritation, really. Yeah. Get off. Get off my model. Mold lines. I've got, like, the GW scraping tool. And that's, you know, I'll just give it a cursory scrape and that's it, really. Yeah, that's what I do. Um, I, mine is just, uh, there are just bits that aren't painted on <laughs> models. <laughs> and I'll never tell you where they are, but I know they're there. Is it underneath uh, the, the groin area? Often underneath the cape in the groin area. Yeah. Like, it's, there's, there's no paint in there. Yeah, I, I've started to learn that that's okay, actually. It's fine, yeah. It's like, fine. It's, like, I've started to leave bits that don't need to be, yeah. like, twice highlighted. And it saved me a lot of time. It does save a lot of time. Yeah, I've got a lot of, um, like, back half of loincloths on Blood Warriors that you're never going to see. Yeah, all that stuff. And, like, honestly, if someone at event picked up my models and were, like, were, like, determinedly staring up between their legs, I'd be both delighted (laughs) that that work was finally paying off. A bit weirded out. (laughs) A little bit odd, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Uh, But no, mold lines is definitely mine, because I really don't care. And, Mm. like... It's like, I don't even think they look that bad, which is probably the, the bigger confession. It's not that I don't do it. It's just mm. that I don't care looking at them. It's like, yeah, that's fine. I get annoyed by... Um, Some of them are really bad. Like, I'm not talking stuff. about fine cast. Yeah, yeah, fine Gaps cast. are worse. Gaps, um, so, like, in the core set, some of the Stormcast, the gaps are right down the middle of the shoulder pads, and that's just like a glaring 
place for them to be and then like normally the gaps like further down the model but if they're just that obvious it's, it's really annoying it's worth spending time sorting it out um our next question comes from uh tom hatfield our friend former housemate hello tom um he sent us two questions uh this is the one that i'm gonna have to do some more describing <laughs> he's done a political compass for warhammer Major <laughs> sigmar characters and it's quite small and so you're gonna have to enjoy the podcast experience of me um reading this off um off the screen i'll put um, i'll put it in the show notes mm. but yes so the 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 vertical axis of this compass uh is uh from jock to nerd uh with uh gorka morka at the pinnacle of jock and zinch at the pinnacle of nerd the other axis running across this is from preppy to goth uh with no specific person picked for for preppy but um but malarian uh malekith picked mm. for goth um he identifies corn as slightly all the way jock but slightly to the right towards goth yeah okay i see that um in the center of the triangle interestingly is nurgle Ooh. who exists at the exact center between jock nerd goth and preppy <laughs> <laughs> slightly to the right so slightly as centrist as <laughs> lamentable centrist nurgle uh slightly to the right towards goth is uh marathi but slightly to the left towards preppy is Alariel. so the two elven mm, goddesses sitting to either side of nurgle's the mirrors yeah exactly yeah, it's neat um um grungni uh the slayer god is to the left of jock but high up in jock towards preppy uh slanesh further towards preppy but even on the goth nerd the jock nerd axis uh whereas what i believe might be the high elves of all the way over to preppy for example but a bit closer to nerdy mm. uh, stormcast sit evenly in the center of the jock prep quadrant yeah i was literally just thinking about where i'd put sigmar himself and it would be fairly far into that quadrant if, um, and then nagash uh, is all the way to the bottom right <laughs> alone in the goth nerd the nerd got uh, that's that's very <laughs> this is a very astute. good chart tom, <laughs> sent this, some, tom sent this with no other content and just the word discuss <laughs> uh, we've described and now we have to do the other day. Gash is a nerd, isn't he? He is, yeah. Um, I think this is a good chart. I'm trying to think where else we'd put other characters. Um, I think, I think you, I think, um, I make Grimnir other when I said Grungni. If I was to say Grungni the Smith God, mm. um, then I think Grungni ends up nerd prep, which mm. is another example of that, but yeah. closer to, a little bit closer to nerd and a bit closer to goth. Um, I think, I think the, Ideneth are somewhere in the goth nerd yeah quadrant. they'll be down towards the bottom bottom right there maybe yeah. if you look right in the middle of that quadrant somewhere mm. um I think let's think I think Slaves to Darkness run the entire goth gamut <laughs> sorry the entire jock gamut yeah yeah uh, depending on specific god allegiances where Caradrons sit um <laughs> close to the middle yeah, centrist nerds. Centrist nerds, Caradron overlords. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Silicon Valley <laughs> yeah, yeah. is where they sit. There you go, yeah. 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 Hypercapitalist centrist nerds. There they are, right there. Yeah. Um, mm. Let's think. What are the factions in Age of Sigma are there that we would have to align? Like, most of yeah. the sort of green... Like, in the, almost the entire destruction faction just mm. sits at the top of jock centrist, yeah. I think. Yeah, jock centrist. Although, uh, maybe, maybe you could argue that the sort of frost lords... Mm. Um, so the the uh, what they called the 
uh, Beast Call uh, Raiders yeah. Yeah. sits slightly on the goth side of that mm. because they're pursued by an endless winter they can never shake, <laughs> which true. could be an Evanescence song. So that's, you know, that maybe pushes them in that direction slightly, which actually pushes them a little bit closer to Corn, but not maybe not in the way that we're thinking. You could have, have like the Swift Hawk agents and the High Isles very much in the prep nerd uh, extreme yeah. down there. Uh, the mm. Wanderers would be a bit more goth probably yeah they are more goth uh, so they'd, they'd be further to the, to the right there yeah because they did the unforgivable crime of fleeing and yeah and pay for it by wandering the realms alone forever Eternally they are more exiled. like sort of like folk metal really but mm, yeah like, yeah so not quite as far across to goth but you know on that yeah, axis on, the way on that spectrum yeah 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 um i think let's think what are, are there the, any jock goths that's hard to place. Well, jo- yeah, I mean, like, do you mean much further over in that corner? Much further, yeah, I mean, corn, corn, corn is in the corner there, but, you know, there could be someone further. No one puts corn in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a hard quadrant to fill, I think. It is, yeah. That, like, I suppose, um, like, uh, sort of uh, White Kings, like hmm. Death Rattle, like, because if you get into, like, so Nighthaunt, are fully over goth nerds, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, they're too close um, to the gash, Like, but Death Rattle might be a bit closer to the full goth mm. jock mm. quadrant. Maybe vampires. Morgasts. Mm. Just really beefy. Yeah, beefy well, the beefiest skeleton. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, vampires are basically all the way over the centrist goth. Yeah. Because, yeah. because they are nerds as well. Yeah, nerds as well, definitely. Yeah. Especially Manfred. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the man- yeah. You could put Manfred where, where well, Manfred is on this chart, mm. I think. Um, Actually, no. Maybe Manfred is the jock goth. He's kind of he's kind of scheming and a bit pathetic, though. But he's, yeah, he's also a a fighter. You know, he's a good fighter. All vampires are good. Whereas fighter. you know, you could put Arkham the Black basically exactly where maybe Neverata goes up there somewhere. Possibly, yeah. But she's also very schemey. Mm. They're all very schemey. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, oh no, what's the other one? The, the other one would fit. What's his name? Not Arkham. Arkham. Arkhan, no, Arkhan's the biggest nerd. Is he even the Arkhan's the oh, biggest, he's the spell biggest nerd. He's, he's Nagash's prefect. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's true. He's quite, is he preppy? He might be. He's a preppy. He's a preppy vampire. He's a, the only he's, one. He's, he's a skeleton. If he's a preppy. He might be a preppy goth, which breaks this chart. <laughs> yeah, that's, we broke your chart. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, but he's also like the little Mortok that sits behind. Like, if it was a Beastie Boys rap video, all he would do is repeat <laughs> what Nagash said. <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um... I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah, I thank you, Tom, for, for, for furnishing us with it and giving me an extra job in the disc, in the show notes. Tom sent a separate question, which was, uh, since Kill Team um, is about to or has just released, aha, uh-huh, last month, uh, I thought I'd ask a Kill Team flavor question. You're putting together a five-person Death Watch Kill Team. Which chapter would you have each Marine be from? You can pick any chapter, not just the original 18. So let's hear some of your favorite successor chapters. Because this sounds like hard work, I, I was just going to go with favorite successor chapters. Hmm. Um, I don't know. The, the Crimson Fists aren't a success. Yes, they are. Oh, they're, they're, they're a success chapter of the hundred percent. Them, yeah. Uh, Black Templars from nice. So we got two Imperial Fists success chapters on the go there. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe the oh, the Green Raven Guard, whose name I've forgotten. It might just be like the Green Ravens, Raven, <laughs> Raven Friends. I forgot what they're called. Salamanders. Then, they're not a success. No, they're their they? first founding chapter. None. Um, OG Salamanders. Yeah. Um, Cockaridans, space sharks. Mm. That'd be quite good. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Blood Ravens. Mm. Favourite uh, Thousand Suns successor chapter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, mm. I love Crimson Fists. Yeah. I do. I wish I had some Crimson Fists, Chris. But you did, you did in our hands. 
I, I know. <laughs> Why? Why did I do that? <laughs> Curse Ferris and his rumba. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Our final question uh, comes from Chimp. Hello, Chimp. Uh, who has sent us a uh, a photo? It opens with a photo of Elon Musk smoking a fatty <laughs> in, a, in a yet another wacky adventure. I love how of, obsessed the internet is with of, the... of, of real life's um, <laughs> most wayward Caradron overlord. What army would Elon Musk? Caradron, it would be Caradron overlords, right? Mm. But he's invented tunnels, <laughs> so it's just regular dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs> revolutionary guy <laughs> revolutionary idea for dwarves yeah. um, <laughs> I've invented the metro well God done almighty. well done um, uh, someone once tweeted that Nagash is basically the emperor but with a better plan and people management skills don't at me and while I think we can all agree that this is true in the grand tradition of pointlessly comparing universes I'd like to go deeper both characters were once humans from another age who later became gods through use of magic or sufficiently advanced technology they both require the sacrifice of millions of souls but at in order to power up and fight their major antagonists, the Chaos Gods. Um, Nagash and the Emperor are both um, Volsel, but are obsessed uh, with creating children with part of their own power. The Mortarks are a clear AOS equivalent of the Primarchs, Mort, Death, Prim, showing disapproval of anything improper, Arc, a vertical curved structure. In that they're clearly the most interesting characters in each setting, the most imbued of personality, getting ever more large, improbably warbly models. The difference being that the Primarchs are all dudes, but the revealed Mortarks so far have an equal representation of men and women. Uh, Appendix A, Manfred and Arkan, men, Neferata and Lady Alinda, uh, women. In conclusion, Sigmar should stop being so mean to Nagash. Thanks for listening, there isn't a question, chimp. And then <laughs> a photo of Elon Musk breathing out um, um, rip more talk of shadow Vlad von Kosting mm. um, yeah uh, so this isn't a question it's just a statement from our death collecting friend yeah. <laughs> but a good series of statements yeah I am however compelled by the counter argument or maybe even no hang on so if Nagash is yeah if Nagash is the emperor is the emperor then um, Sigmar is a uh, Catan right and the Stormcaster Necrons Mm. Um, and put it this way, right? Your race is doomed. You're on the edge of destruction by the chaos gods. Yeah. What do you do? Become metal. Yeah. And put your souls into metal bodies. Yeah. Is that a good idea? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do when you realise it's a bad idea? Close the doors and go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that does. That. Yeah, that's exactly. compelling. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's compelling. What happens when you wake up? Set fire to everything. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Stormcaster, go, they don't really set fire to everything. Some of them do. Yeah, exactly. Some of them do. And some of them go wrong, like Necrons. Yeah. Mm. And they just start collecting hats. Yeah. And that's it. So is Nagash the good, the good guy? No. He's just... No, because I'm going to tell you why, Tom. Because he's an 80-foot skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the bad guy? <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's brilliant. Uh, Nagash is probably my favourite character in Warhammer, maybe. Maybe. He, maybe. He's, he has a good... Um, the bit at the very beginning of Soul War where the Black... He, he's basically trying to steer the Black Pyramid while Skaven screw oh, yeah. it up from the inside. Mm. And literally, uh, like, three of the Chaos Gods are laughing at him through the windows. <laughs> and <laughs> literally laughing at him through the windows of the... Really? It's actually one of the only times you see them all described as well. So, like, oh, that's cool. Zinch in, like, an avian form. Like, it's, it's what it is supposed to be that he's seeing this kind of 
spectral depiction of loads of different of reality yeah. through shattered planes of shade glass but it sounds like he's in a cockpit with the with the windows and yeah. Zinch is like sitting on the roof laughing at him and, and Korn is like hammering on the window and Nurgle's like greasing up his windscreen as Nurgle as um, you know Basically, as far as I can tell, Nagash kind of spins off into the sky like mm. Dr. Robotnik at the end of an episode of a Sonic cartoon. Yeah. Um, or Team Rocket. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you know, this is the maybe the argument against Nagash being the best character. is every, he, he, like, he is the area man that can't stop fucking up. Yeah, but I, find <laughs> like, that, I like that about him a lot. Yeah, it is very... I, I enjoy his Very relatable. Yeah. Is, is, is the combination of, you know, a huge amount of self-regard and yeah. uh, just being very bad at things. It's almost vicarious, like, it's a clever bit of writing in a way because it's, it's almost embarrassing because he's so convinced that he's a god. Yeah. And some, some rats got into his stupid pyramid <laughs> and it's spinning out of control and fucking everything up and it's really visible and he really has shat the bed in public. It's in you know? front of everyone. And also the real gods are laughing at him. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and it is the bigger kids. Like, he sees mm. himself as this ine- inevitable ultra god of, of a kind of primal force, which is basically just a chaos god, but he's not. No. He's not got it. He doesn't have it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have it. And, <laughs> and he'll never he's have like, it. He's like he's trying to do a BMX trick <laughs> and he's just fucking beefed it hard yeah. into the into like the side of the skate park. Yeah. And all of the big kids are there and they can all see. He's, and that's powerfully uh, relatable. He's Tetsuo, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yes, he is. Mm. That's the the wronged, deeply bitter. Wait, does that make Canada Sigma? Canada's a bit more, a bit too rogue to be Sigma, though. He's, 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 he's kind of a scoundrel. Mm. Yeah. Um but you know, actually at the end of Akira that's the birth of a chaos god basically. Yes, it? It, is, is, yeah. it is. That's like, Nagash getting what he wants. Getting what he wants and yeah. going full Nurgle basically. Just, yeah. yeah. I think I mean Sigma was a barbarian king. I think you can I go suppose so, yeah. maybe he's like kind of a, Yeah. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> we can map anything onto Warhammer. <laughs> Challenge us. A great unifying theory of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, of all things. <laughs> all media. Um which one of these people is Nagash? <laughs> uh good. That is um all of the questions we have, we've just solved. We've solved one. Good job. Um, if you'd like to send us a question for a future email, well, f- f- shit. If you'd like to send us a question for a future episode, you can email us at questions. Oh fuck! I've, <laughs> now I've stacked it. Now I'm Nagash trying to do this outro. Um, if you, you want to email us for a future episode of this podcast, you can email us at miniatures at creightoncrowbar.com. Uh, you can also uh, tweet us at minis monthly, which is a good way of getting your thoughts yes. and feelings to us. Uh, we do, of course, have our uh, first event coming up in Cardiff Woo-hoo. in November, the Firestorm Games on the uh, 17th and 18th. Uh, we're going to have loads of uh, open play, basically. So you can play whatever you like, bring and play whatever you like with the, with our community, which is going to be rad. We're going to do a big Age of Sigmar uh, kind of campaign game involving mm-hmm. everybody, which is going to be really exciting. Rad. Um, so good. You get to see our models in real life. <laughs> Imagine. Don't look up the crotch bits on Please mine. Please don't. Oh, look at mine. <laughs> I <bet. laughs> God, people are going to do that now. Yeah, definitely. Shit. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, and so that's going to happen, and we're going to have some kind of social in the evening. We're a bit on the fence about whether we're going to do a... Uh, a live pod we may well record something there but whether or not we actually do a pod is mm. a different matter because it's logistically quite complicated and we don't want to eat into people's playtime too much sure. so current thinking is we might end up simply having a social in the evening yeah. which I think is fine really. nice. um, but certainly the escapades of, of that weekend will, will be featured on the pod in, in some way um, 
Yes, that's basically what you need to know for the moment because I'm still finalizing some final details with Firestorm. Uh, in addition to obviously your travel and accommodation, uh, it will probably be uh, five pounds per day for the days you come down to play. Mm. Uh, you don't need to pay for both days if you're only down for one, which is good. Um, if you'd like to RSVP a place, please email us at events at creightoncrowbar.com. Uh, first come, first served. And note that we've, we have a sort of a tentative capacity of 40 people, mm. and we are approaching that, mm. which is amazing news because, you know, this is based on the, the survey we did. Um, but it does mean that if you haven't emailed us yet and you do want to come, uh, it's a good idea to get that done at, um, ASAP, basically. Word. Because when, when we're ready to start kind of like finalizing the exact you know there won't be tickets necessarily but you know who's coming uh we will basically go in order received of emails mm. um, and there will likely be a reserves list as well so it is worth emailing us as people maybe can't make it or whatever so cool. yeah so that's happening that's super exciting uh that's basically it tom if people would like to find more of your miniatures stuff how can they do that well, that'll be on instagram that's where i post that thing uh and i'm at ludo paints minis which is l-u-d-o paints minis lovely and my miniatures instagram is at exit warp that's e-x-i-t-w-a-r-p and this was the completely on time (laughs) miniatures monthly 18 we did it we did it eventually and we'll do it again sooner this time (laughs) miniatures monthly 18 here we go again (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening thanks for listening bye